there's something been curious about this broadcast. This is TGP Nominal. Commence episode now. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal. Hello everybody and welcome to this special edition of The Garbage Pod and TGP Nominal as we celebrate our holiday special. As we always do, we try and cross it over so that, um, well, basically people who are listening to The Garbage Pod might like what's on TGP Nominal and the other way around. So that's what we try and do with the uh, holiday episode. I wouldn't be able to do this show without my regular co-host, who is John Berger. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing fine there, lad. How about you? Busy, 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 as it always is at this time of year. Can't get anything else in the fridge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just got our decorations up. We have a different colour scheme every year. This year we've gone for a quite an unusual colour scheme. We've gone for uh, copper and mint. Why? Because it looks good together. What? does look good. Copper and mint? I need pictures of this. <laughs> I need to see this. It, it does look good. The only problem with having the copper is uh, we've got these kind of uh, lanterns, which are actually made of a... Well, I, I think they're copper-coloured metal. But because they're copper-like, they leave a lot of fingerprints. <laughs> <laughs> so they're forever having to clean them. I don't know what colour scheme we're going for next year, but sometimes we have a Nordic theme, which is quite nice. Wow, we're boring by comparison. It's uh, minimal. We, we don't go over the top with it. It's tastefully done. But, uh, yeah, the, we have got plastic storage containers in the garage that are full of just oh. different colour schemes. So do we. Well, okay, we don't have colour <laughs> schemes, but just our Christmas decorations in general are loaded into plastic tubs out in the garage. <laughs> Uh, so we have got weird and wonderful things in the garage. <laughs> well, I guess the closest we have is we have giant googly eyes on our tree. Cool. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh, I've got to have that. And uh, my wife indulges me and now it's to the point where she puts it on. She puts them on the tree every year or else she knows I'll get upset with her. So... <laughs> I was just uh, doing an event and uh, I've got some recordings from the event uh, that I just did with uh, UK Astronomy. Uh, they had their last, they call it Astronomy and a Pint. They host it in a pub, of course. And uh, I had to stay at a friend's house to be at this uh, event. And um, I, I went into my, my friend's bathroom and uh, he's got one of those shaver sockets on the wall. And you know, sometimes you get that little logo on the shaver socket that kind of looks like a little guy who needs a shave on there. I don't, they normally have them in hotels and things. And he's got just a couple of dots for eyes. I looked over it and went, has that shaver socket symbol got googly eyes on it? <laughs> there are tiny little googly eyes that he's actually stuck to this thing. <laughs> but um, that's typical of my friend who's... Uh, can be a bit out there sometimes. <laughs> hey, it's a thing. Got to have, got to have some kind of hobby. Uh huh. One thing I, I, I loved when I when I went there, he said, "Oh, I'll just put your jacket on the clothes horse." And I'm looking round in this room for a clothes horse, and um, it was the uh, treadmill. That's the thing. He, he refers to it as the clothes horse because he never uses it. It's his, uh, it's his, it's his other half that uses it. <laughs> 
it. I, I've never heard of a clothes horse. Uh, clothes horses, um, it's like a frame thing that you put clothes on to dry them. Oh, those things. Okay, I, I, we actually have one. I've never heard of it referred to that way. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a, a British thing or, or not, but yeah, we, we've always called them clothes horse. <laughs> uh, no, that makes sense. Um, when you're doing woodworking and you're cutting stuff, those are called saw horses. Oh, right. So that makes sense. I think we just call it clothes rack or drying rack, so... Yeah, something like that. But yeah, we've always called them clothes horses. And that might be a reason why we might not be able to find them because we need a new one because our one's fallen apart and um, my other half wants a certain kind. And uh, the problem is that I think she's putting the wrong terminology into eBay. <laughs> so we'll have to rethink that. Maybe a, I say, a drying rack or something. Mind you, that could be something yeah. that you use in the kitchen for your dishes. But... <laughs> A clothes horse, sometimes called a clothes rack, drying horse, clothes maiden, garment donkey, drying rack, drying stand, frostic, error, or winter dyke. Garment donkey, I like Garment that. donkey, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Uh, <laughs> wow, okay. Not even going to try on that one. <laughs> so, as I said, we're going to do something a little bit different with the show today we've got a couple of uh, events that TGP Nominal and uh, the Garbage Pod have been involved with over the last few months and uh, I just thought we'd we'd put them in as a a nice little thing to end the year with and as always we've got a few holiday messages from well-wishers that we're going to play in throughout the show when we come back we're going to go straight to one of those events John, Laura LaRue here, wishing you a Merry Christmas and a stellar new year. Now, everybody knows there are just too many 2018 highlights to recap, but TGP Nominal's five-year anniversary celebration has to be my personal favorite. I love you guys, and I love your podcast. Thanks for teaching me something new in every episode. I'm blowing cosmic kisses to Alan Taylor Scherer, Ross Hockham, and all your beautiful fans. Mwah. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody on TGP Nominal from Gareth Jones on Speed. Hi, this is Zach Allegan, and you're listening to the TGP Podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody. Crichton, what are you doing, man? Oh, sir, I'm listening to the Garbage Pod. It's a podcast I found in the podosphere. Welcome back to the Garbage Pod TGP Nominal Holiday Special. Now, as I said to you before the break, we attended an event. It wasn't that long ago, actually. It feels like an an age away it was uh, in august at the end of august and uh, here's a little intro into what we were doing hello everybody you join us on this bank holiday august bank holiday weekend for uh, the park life weekend well we're actually on the saturday which is the live in the park uh, part of the festival which is mostly uh, musical events uh, going on today. There's lots of other bits and pieces going on. And uh, joining me here today is Liz Springs. How are you doing? Howdy, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, fine. 
and uh, we're constantly looking at the weather over the last few days because we didn't know how it was going to be but it's supposed to be not too bad today it, it's dry <laughs> it is drying I have seen the sun once today <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot going on there's uh, about 14 bands taking part in this uh, event today plus we've got um, lots of different charity organisations and uh, different businesses that are actually giving their time up for free today for this whole event. The whole of, the whole of this weekend is for free. And uh, we've been asked along by the organisers from Aylesbury Town Council to, uh, to take part in this event. And uh, I mean, you've been to one of these before. Yeah, um, I, if I'm in the country in August, I come to this actually as a member of the community and as a parent uh, because... <laughs> Sorry, they've got police playing badminton. That's not something you see every day. <laughs> yeah, they've got a lot of things on that are um, like tasters and tryout things for kids. There's um, music academies here. They've got one of the dance academies. They've got a lot of games that they put out and things that kids can do. And the idea is to draw the community in for the day. So there are food tents. Uh, there's the beer tent. One or two of the pubs have got um, beer tents here. So there is theoretically something for everybody. The bands are a mix of indie and country and a bit of rock. I think it's a scar band on tonight. Yeah. And it's just, they're just trying to do a little bit towards the whole community to come together as a community event weekend. And uh, like you said about the uh, the local pubs are getting involved in it. Usually at these kind of events you have uh, people like um, you know corporate companies come in and actually outside from the area to do these kind yeah, of things. Yeah, no, here it is actually. I've, I saw uh, the New Zealand, which is a local local pub in town. I didn't catch who the other one was. There's one of the um, my personal favourites, the Works Ice Cream. Uh, parlor in town have got their thing here uh, there's a hog roast there's, there's lots of bits and pieces and obviously you're right on the doorstep of the town centre as well um, and then they've got fairground rides and things like that as the add-on for the kids as well it's just a bit of everything they've got face painting crafting stuff the local radio station are here uh, the actual the, the local radio station Mix 96 they're actually putting on one of the stages so you've got the main stage and then you've got like a little sub stage uh, from it so whilst they're preparing to put the, the band you know bands together on the on the main stage they're performing on there and then they switch in between them so it's actually quite good it's uh, like festival setup pretty actually. much <laughs> yeah it's becoming a, a kind of like a little little festival in itself but uh, as, as you said earlier, it's, it is bizarre that we've got members of the Thames Valley Police actually... Playing doubles badminton. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's fun to see that the, the, the actual local constabulary are actually getting involved in this and showing the, uh, the, the more friendlier side of the police. Absolutely. I think... I don't know where things went a little sideways, but definitely we've got some really good community constabulary here. Um, and it's nice to see them having a laugh and getting involved. And it's nice for kids to see that they're fun, friendly people. Yeah. And so it's all about building community. And that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, back in the day when you used to have your community 
uh, copper, he used to hear a steak copper, which you don't see a lot of that anymore. I mean, uh, our one was just absolutely fantastic. He's a good friend of the family, uh, and uh, just unfortunate surname to be in the police force because his surname was Doogood. Um. PC Doogood. That sounds like something out of a Terry Pratchett novel. It does, doesn't it? Corporal Doogood. Sergeant Doogood. But the, oh no, no, you've got to stop and look at him. You've got to look at him. Oh no. They're... All four of them are getting on the caterpillar planks. <laughs> Now this this is this this is definitely um, team building exercise team building. That's what I was for Thames Valley Police. Oh my goodness! This is, there's four of them standing on these planks with ropes attached to it, and they've got to attempt to left, right, left, right, and walk together. But you know that what was going to go through my head when they are actually walking is. That's only if they do the swing the leg way out and on. See, I actually started out having either like Monty Python Ministry of Silly Walk or um, Madness, actually. Yeah, yeah, the Nutty Walk, yeah. yeah well, anything from Madness would be a Funhouse soundtrack in the background. Yeah, one step beyond would be a great one for that. They're doing it. Oh, no, no. Oh, man down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> I'm just going to wait for them to fall flat on their face because that'll be... Uh, see, no, the guy who was in front that fell off, they've switched him, they've put a girl in front. It's moving now. No, do it, Turn. Re- do it in reverse. Turn! <laughs> oh, oh, this I, has made my day. They're um, trying to turn around a, um, a marker. Cause no, woman nearly in the hedge. <laughs> I think we're going to leave that there, and uh, we'll come to you, come back to you in a little while. Always fun when Liz is about. What did she call those <laughs> caterpillar planks? Yeah, basically because you got four people standing on the plank holding ropes, and they've got to kind of make the boards move so that all four of them are still on the boards and walking in in formation. So they're walking like a caterpillar would across a branch of a tree or something. (laughs) They're in full uniform, you know, with the the flak jacket and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's just funny to see the police in in that kind of environment because it it just showed them in a different light. Hey, they've got to have fun too. Yeah. But, um, yeah, as I said, it made Liz's day seeing them do that and uh, uh, virtually at that point made it impossible to say anything else apart from what they were doing, to be honest. (laughs) But uh, it gave you a nice little setup to what the feel of the day was all about. It's a fair kind of environment, if you like. And that led us on to the next recording, which was this one here. Hey, I'm here with Adrian from Men in Sheds Aylesbury. Uh, can you please tell us a little bit more about what Men in Sheds is? Hi there. Uh, Men in Sheds is a cumulative workshop where people get together from our respective communities, um, irrespective of their physical or mental health, and we strive to encourage well-being amongst our members. That sounds fantastic. So 
social, tea, coffee, hands-on, that kind of making anything and everything? Yeah, we do. We go from the strange to the to the sublime. Um, we make we make a myriad of things down at Men in Sheds, uh, but the idea is about getting people to work together to help to build confidence within people to enable them to then move on to bigger and better things. That sounds wonderful, but i got to say I'm kind of sad because today we've got some gorgeous banners up, but they say save our shed. So what's been going on? Yeah, unfortunately we were previously supported by Ellsbury Vale District Council and it's unfortunate that they've decided to withdraw that support. Um, therefore we're having to move from our current location and we're currently looking for a long-term base of operations uh, within within Aylesbury. Okay, well I wish you the best of luck on that one. So for people who aren't necessarily so practical, they've men in sheds, to me that says woodwork. Um, what else do you guys do? Down at men in sheds in Aylesbury we do um, engineering, we do electronics, computing, um, and woodworking. You can come down there, we can teach you how to weld, 3D print, laser cut. There's a myriad of activities that actually we can give you on the ground, hands-on experience with. That sounds amazing. I keep saying amazing, awesome, but it really does sound it. I think I'm going to have to come down and visit. So it's somewhere in between, it's almost like mad scientist workshop and cue from bond by the sounds of it <laughs> well indeed indeed yes yeah yeah that's a great descriptor that's absolutely fab well thank you for talking to me i wish you the absolute best if you want to check them out more they have a gofundme for save hyphen men hyphen in hyphen sheds hyphen aylesbury because that rolls off the tongue easily <laughs> i hope you enjoy the rest of your day lovely thank you so much thank you thank you yeah, they're great people down at Men in Sheds, and uh, they have got a temporary place at the moment. But it's it's really good in a, a time where people don't go out and make things as much as they used mm. to. So it's it's good for building confidence. Actually, making something and go, you know, I did that. It does make you feel proud when you start doing things. You're not telling me anything. I don't know. Seeing as how I'm going crazy <laughs> with my 3D printer. Yeah, this is true. I know it's called Men in Sheds, but it's open to everybody. It's not just men. Anybody can go. The reason why it's called Men in Sheds is because sheds have long been associated with men in the UK. Hmm. <laughs> but now it's open to everyone, and it's good if you live on your own, and it's a place where you can go and you can meet people and you can learn new skills, which could come in handy for a career even. They do need some help, um, and all the all the men in shed groups all over the country need help. But the fact that when your operation has stopped having funding, it makes it a lot difficult. Yeah. So uh, we'll put some links to everybody that we we've spoken to uh, in the show today, so you can have a look at what they do and um, just have a look. Now the next guy I spoke to, I could have spoke to him for a long time because. He has a lot of passion for what he talks about, 
He has a lot of passion about what he's trying to achieve uh, or what the organisation is trying to achieve. Have a listen to this. Okay, so I'm with Andrew Clark from BUDS. Now, BUDS is the Buckinghamshire Disabled Services. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you do here. Okay, well, BUDS fixes the big problems that affect all disabled people, so we go after the things that, that whatever your disability might be, are going to annoy you. Things like blue badge parking, things like benefit changes, things like people's attitudes, hate crime. Um, if it affects disabled people in Buckinghamshire, then we're on it, basically. Um, and our job is to remove the barriers that make people disabled by fixing the problems that they face every day. So what actually brings you to uh, Live in the Park? Well, we've been working with Elsbury Town Council for a number of years because we have a project called Fair for All, which um, is about making things fair for all, and we have fair for all events. So since 2012, when the Paralympics brought disability access to people's minds, um, we've been working to make large public events in Buckinghamshire accessible and inclusive for all. And Aylesbury Town Council are our stars. They have received the first ever Fair for All event award, which we awarded yesterday, uh, last year, from the big, uh, the big stage, which is quite a nerve-wracking experience <laughs> for me. Um, so we awarded the, we gave them the award because for a number of years, they have been really, really brilliant at making their events accessible and inclusive. And, it, you know, they haven't spent £100,000 doing it. These are the simple things. You go around Park Life, you will see that the staff all know about disabilities. They know when to ask, when to offer help. Um, the toilets have been put right up to the edge of the path. So if you're a wheelchair user, you can roll straight in. Um, all, the st- all the stall holders know about how to help disabled people. There are signers on the stage. Yes. Um, you know, that's a big headline thing, um, but it's a host of small details that if you get them right, you can make events inclusive. And I'm, you know, I'm talking to you now and there's a group coming in and there's wheelchair users amongst that. There is a stage here provided by Buds for wheelchair users so they can actually see the stage. Um, we protect that so it's not blocked, so it's not misused, it's not abused. When you arrive here, the blue badge parking is cordoned off and two of our volunteers are controlling that because if you can't park an event, you can't go to an event. So it's all of those details and the reason we're good at what we do, we are very good at what we do, is because we are all disabled people ourselves. Buds is a charity made up of volunteers, uh, overwhelmingly disabled volunteers, um, and we know what it is that matters and that's why we go after it. And sometimes, uh, as you know, the disabilities are not visible and I suppose that makes things a lot difficult to actually put the word out there about uh, events that are coming up for people with uh, different disabilities that you can't see. Well, exactly right. I mean, information is the first barrier. If you don't know that an event is accessible, then you're not going to go to it. So for us, information is getting information out that events are accessible is the first the first thing that needs to be done. And what we've seen is when you get an organisation like Hillsborough Town Council who will make their events accessible year after year, the number of disabled people that come, both visible and invisible disabilities, will increase all the time. If somebody comes up to us and they, they say, you know, I need a seat 
to sit down. We're not going to put them through some sort of grilling to find out why they need to sit down. Mm -hmm. We tend to take them at, at their word that yeah. if they come to a disability charity and ask for a chair, then they need a chair. Um, people with autism, we are one of the first charities to have done some really practical things. We are at the moment sitting in our welfare unit, which is here, um, amongst other things, specifically for people who need to get away from the noise because it is much more soundproof than being outside in a field at a rock concert. If you are getting sensory overload, if you're having a meltdown, then this is a place you can come to. We also have our tent, which is filled with sensory toys and things that we know autistic people will find helpful to them if they're in a crisis. Um, and you can sit there all day. And at a number of events, like play in the park, people do sit there all day. And we're very happy with that. I, I was saying to you when we walked up, seeing that there was a quiet zone, um, that was really a nice touch. Um, and it is good to see that there are there are slowly becoming more events that uh, embrace that kind of thing. You're absolutely right, and it's it's about pan-disability, it's all disabled people. And uh, what people don't realise is that because the law, for historic reasons, is very much around people in wheelchairs and not around people with other types of impairment, um, you tend to get, if, if anything is done, then it's done for people with wheelchairs and everyone else is forgotten. And one of our most important messages is that you need to consider all disabled people. Um, you know, we're the only organisation in the park with a hearing loop for deaf people. Um, if, if, you're, if you have a hearing impairment and you're not a sign language user, then the person on the stage is just waving their hands in an amusing way. What you need, what you need is a hearing loop and we have a hearing loop that we can loan to anyone who actually needs it. So we have large um, copies of all the event literature provided by Ellsbury Town Council um, if you have a visual impairment um, we, we provide a dog we provide a bowl for the assistance dogs to drink from it's That's the nice. little details it's always the details and as I say because we are all disabled people ourselves we ask ourselves what is it that we would know and we're always learning new things I think that's what it's all about really is is learning and then from from what you've learned just spreading the word yeah and I mean there's two sides for us we when we find an organization that really wants to do better then we will sit down with them and we will help them we'll show them the cheap the easy ways to make things more accessible if there's a an expensive sort of high ticket item like the viewing platform here um, you know it would cost thousands of pounds if it was provided but we're a charity we do what charities do we beg and we borrow and um, we don't do stealing I'd like to make that clear <laughs> but we definitely beg and borrow and we've been through the support of two fantastic local organizations we now have that wheelchair viewing area and it's cost you know a fraction of what it would have cost commercially um, so there are ways around the barriers that you know do that the other side of the coin is the organizations that don't want to make their events accessible and there are a number of them there are some that will do a bit as long as it doesn't cause them any actual trouble or cost them any money or um, any extra work or any extra work and then there are the ones that actually just don't want to do anything at all and I'm quite happy on this on your podcast to name and shame the Bucks County show which is one of the least accessible events anywhere in the country they do virtually well, actually, nothing actually I I um spent a few years in a wheelchair mm. at one point um, and yeah that was but even as a as a parent it's not particularly pushchair no. friendly either so yeah good point no so the, the physical access is bad but they they have 
done nothing for people with hearing impairments, people with uh, sight loss, people with autism, and it's not because we wouldn't help them. We have told them every year um, that there are cheap and simple and easy things they can do to make their event accessible and they simply don't want to do it. Um, and so we will continue to name and shame organisations that just don't want to get it right. Um, you know, the department, well not department stores, but DIY stores that use their blue badge base as um, trolley parks or <laughs> trolley parks. You know. <laughs> if you look at our, our social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter, there are a lot of pictures of people parked in blue badge bays who aren't entitled to be there, of just the day-to-day -day stupidities that because people never think of it. They're building uh, a, you know, a new um, square in Aylesbury yeah. and we've been involved with the design of that from the start and it will be a very accessible design when it's finished. But in the meantime, there is no wheelchair access at all to the cinema, which is really helpful if you're a wheelchair user. Um, you know, the aisles are too small to get wheelchairs through in a lot of the places, so it, it's causing huge problems. Not so much for people who can pick their way around the corners and all the rest of it, but if you've got, if you're blind, you're, you're not going to get anywhere at all. If you're in a wheelchair, if you're used to seeing familiar routes and it's all changed, so that that, and again. We would have been perfectly happy to work with them right from the very start yeah. to yeah. get that right and it wouldn't have cost them any more no. because it's just doing it right i mean it's not as though it's an old cinema it's it was a purpose-built building so it wouldn't have taken much just to yeah. you know widen things well the, the i think the cinema is a really classic example of people who managed to tick the legal box without making the building accessible ah. you know if you're a, if you're a wheelchair user first of all you have to go up the long ramp at the side why is there a long ramp? Why can't everyone go in together? Mm -hmm. um, there's a power-operated door, but only for Costas and not for the cinema itself. Um, when you get into the cinema, if you're a wheelchair user, there are only two spaces you can use and people can't sit with you. So you become Johnny Nomads right at the front, which is just where you want to be in a cinema. Um, you know, they, they do other things. They've started doing autism-friendly screenings and they've started doing dementia-friendly screenings. So it's, it's not an entirely black picture, but the design of the building could have been so much better from the start. Definitely. Well, Andrew, it's been absolutely fascinating uh, listening to what you've had to say uh, about inclusion and disability and things, because as I say, we will always champion any any organisation that uh, does that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I just hope we can get the word out there um, through the podcast and... Um, um, get awareness for, for you. That's great and we, we are a voluntary organisation, we're a voluntary organisation mainly of disabled people. If you're a disabled person or if you're not a disabled person, if you've got a burning passion to change the world and make it better for disabled people, <laughs> come to us and we will give you that chance. <laughs> Excellent, thanks again. Thank you. The fact that he wasn't afraid to you know, shame organisations that refused to actually even make the slightest change in this day and age, it doesn't seem reality. No, good for him. I mean, it, if it's a brand new building or they're making modifications, how hard is it going to be to accommodate? Yeah. We've been speaking with him because, uh, as you know, I want to try and do uh, a couple of events that are going to be accessible for everybody. And um, Andrew has said that they will do all they can to help us. So um, it's absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. What was Liz laughing at at the end? 
I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> Out of um, nowhere. You can't mistake that laugh, but uh, I, I just yeah. wondered, I, I caught a little bit of a giggle out of you, too, it sounded like, anyway. I think it's because she started laughing and it's kind of infectious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, let's go on to the next interview. So I'm back at Live in the Park and I'm talking with Ruth Mayhew, who's the, the main organiser of the event. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. Quite tired, but exhilarating with all the amount of people. But yeah, it's a good event. How many people do you think has come through the gate so far? So far, we're in the region of about 7,500 people is where we're at at the minute. Wow. Um, and we're expecting, obviously, numbers to keep on increasing as the uh, event goes on, because the music goes on for another, oh, what, we've got another four hours to go yet. So, uh, yeah, it'd still be good. And that's, of course, before we do Stars in the Park later on in the yeah, evening. Yeah, yeah, that goes on to... Yeah, whenever. well, whenever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just hoping for some clearer skies for them. Yeah, it's looking a bit dodgy at the moment, but uh, they're looking promising about it, apparently. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It, I have seen it worse. I've seen it a lot worse. So, yeah, no, all should be good. All should be good. So, how long has the event been running? Okay, in this format, um, with the Park Life Weekend, we've been going for four years now, um, bringing live music uh, to the community during the day on the Saturday. So we do nine and a half hours of continuous live music across two stages, along with fun fair rides and a community involvement area, of which UK Astronomy being part of today, uh, where we get local businesses and organisations to bring um, experiences to the community that they wouldn't usually experience. Um, being part of Aylesbury Town Council, we're all about building communities and bringing people together. So by offering all of the things that we do free of charge to the community, it automatically brings people together in a positive environment. So, uh, yeah, it's good fun. And one of the things I really love to embrace about the event is the fact that you've got uh, the Bucks Disability Services involved in well, as well, and they do such a great job of uh, integrating and making people, you know, making it more inclusive for people. Very, very much so. We've been working closely with Bucks for five years now. Uh, last year we were awarded their um, Fair For All Events Award um, and we pride ourselves in taking, uh, we listen to advice from buds and uh, we also do some initiatives ourselves um, and it's all about you say, making it in all accessible and inclusive for everybody. This year we've got two sign interpreters on stage doing BSL sign language for the duration of the event. Uh, they're two young volunteers from the area and they approached us to do it and it was like, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. So all sorts of things, we even have large print um, material for all of the stage compare notes so those people who are uh, hard of hearing can also read the notes if they don't do British Sign Language. Um, we've got the viewing ramp, there's, there's a whole multitude of things, even down to the extent that we have available uh, reusable straws because the bars aren't giving away straws because we are responsible for the environment, therefore no single-use plastic. However, we are aware that um, there are some members of the public that require a straw to be able to drink, so they're available from buds. Um, and yeah, little things like that. Yeah. There's the water bowl, there's and hold my place in the queue signs. Um, and we've added, we've um, put something like um, rather than just four disabled bays parking, we've got enough space for 20 disabled car parking. So all those little things go a long way to making our event accessible for all, um, as they should be, because. Yeah, it's all. We all support our entire community. That's fantastic. So, where do you see the the the, uh, the idea, the concept going from here? Well, kind of strength to strength, I hope. Um, over the past four years, over the past four years, um, 
numbers have grown. So in year one, we had 7,000 people across the weekend. Last year, we had 15,500 people across the weekend. So we're hoping that's going to build on that. However, the weather for tomorrow looks abysmal. Yeah. So we might not be, be a record-breaking year this year, but to be honest, it's not about the numbers. It's about those people that are with us, enjoying what they're doing, experiencing new uh, things. So let it be talking to the guys and gazing at the sun or listening to music. Um, we do a wide variety of bands, so to uh, do a cross-section of music styles. Yeah. And yeah, so the, so the growth is people enjoying it and that's all we want is community bringing together one of the things i've actually noticed about the event is some of the um some of these events you go to uh, a lot of the food stands and stuff are very much corporate which have been brought in for the event everyone is local yeah that's one of the requirements of being a food trader or a bar or one of the market stalls you have to live within the parish of Aylesbury to be able to become a part of the event so we are supporting all of our local businesses um, so yeah so all the you say, catering stalls the uh, bars everybody is from within Aylesbury town uh, because we are about our town yeah, yeah. it's good to have yeah. pride, pride in the town exactly so. very much so awesome. very much so well Ruth it's been fantastic talking with you absolute pleasure enjoy yeah. the rest of the evening and I hope that stars in the park tonight goes just as well as life in the park has today so thank you very much thank you thanks and uh, i don't know if you noticed her voice was starting to get a bit hoarse there so she's been talking to you know uh, mediating and relaying the information to a lot of people that was the second attempt at trying to interview her because she's got an earpiece in and she kept getting called away to do different things and um yeah so she was really busy yeah but she is involved in so many different events and uh, I mentioned to her about the possibility of doing some events in Aylesbury and she said come talk to me we'll get it sorted nice so um, they're willing to listen I was feeling really good about things <laughs> now as you heard throughout the, the interviews there's a lot of music and workshops and things going on in the background uh, it was rather unfortunate that we actually chose to do the, the last interview where there was a drumming workshop going on but um, we managed to catch up with a couple of the uh, artists that were taking part in the live performances and uh, this is one of them so we're back at Live in the Park in uh, Aylesbury and uh, I'm talking to Craig Live. How you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, yes. Nice Mate. of you to ask. How, how are you? It's a great day. There's a little well, bit of rain here and there. The but... sun shineth and uh, there's a little bit of rain, and which is nice. Sun and rain. They haven't had any snow yet, but maybe later. <laughs> day ain't over yet. <laughs> yes, Katie, do you want to move in here? Yeah, Okay, yes. So you, you've just come off stage. Yes. And uh, it's a very ec- uh, eclectic set that you had there. Uh, well, we were unsure what songs to play, to be honest. And uh, we're trying to appeal to a range of different ages and types of people. And um, ended up, you know, we got a few ideas in mind, but did some comedy and some old kind of rock and then some newer rock and then you know, one of my own songs, and uh, and that was how it went, you know? Yeah, I quite like the fact that you bring a bit of humour into into your sets as well. Well, you have to, don't you, in order to get through life, really. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been gigging for? Uh, I was in a band in the 80s, in the 1980s, which is a long time ago, and uh, about the middle of the 1980s, and we had a band called the Well Out of Order Brothers. 
and we used to go and play in pubs and do, you know, lots of rock. It's easy top and things like that. And then all through the 90s, I went off and did, you know, more sensible things like, you know, teaching, te English teaching. And then uh, in about 2000, uh, I went to, uh, well, about 2002, I went to a, a mic night again and uh, thought, well, yeah, this is, this is quite fun. And then someone came along and said, oh, well, we can go and, uh, and do this. You know, we can hook up together and play music around pubs. He said, we can charge people money for it. And it took him the whole evening to convince me that you could actually charge people money for it. But after about, you know, six or eight beers, we thought, yeah, good idea, man, yeah. <laughs> and so we began to do that in a duo. Um, uh, that was Adrian and myself. And uh, then I moved and I just carried on just playing music on my own. And uh, yeah, that's, that, that's how it goes, really. So I guess, you know, um, always been playing music, actually. There was, a, there was a guitar in the womb, actually. And I thought, wow, look at that. Look at that. That's the most interesting thing. Have a little strum of that. But uh, no, really. Uh, just on my own for about, I don't know, how long has it been gay? 2006, properly? 12 years. Yeah, t t 2006, I would say. So that's uh, quite a time. Do you play anything now. other than the guitar and sing or any other instruments? Yeah, play, play the flute a little bit. Um, so singing is a gateway drug. It's a gate gateway instrument you tend to end up picking up other. Well, I really didn't. I didn't. <laughs> other habits along the way. I didn't really want to sing, but I couldn't find anyone else who'd do it, and I thought well, the only way I got to do it myself. And um, and then once you do it, you get accustomed to it, and you feel a little bit easier. And uh, you know, I mean, everyone can sing. Can't they go? Everyone can, sing. <laughs> everyone can not, not everyone should. And uh, yes, so I used to play a bit of a flute uh, with a friend. We did some songs by Jethro Tull and Focus and Camel as well. I was just going to say that. Uh, was there a bit of a, uh, a Jethro Tull influence with the flute? Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, um, it's got to be, hasn't there? Yeah. You know, I think the, the character of Ian Anderson I quite like. And, um, and Focus were very good with the flutes as well. Uh, yeah, and there's a guy called Lynn Dobson as well. Really brilliant flute player. Um, he did one album, which is worth looking out for, called Jam Sandwich. And uh, yeah, look out for that one. Cool. So, who would you say your earliest influences were? What really sort of grabbed your ear and your heart? Um, I think, I think it would have been in the mid '70s, and it would have been that kind of music, mid '70s rock. I used to go around to my sister's house and just to listen to her Queen albums and 10cc and Electric Light Orchestra. And then I ended up borrowing some of her albums long term. <laughs> Not actually talking to my sister very much, just going to listen to the records, you know. And uh, that's how it went, really. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, those ones. Um, Standard music question for you. Tropical Island. Yeah. Three albums. Um, if you're stranded. What are the three? You're well, if it's with? if it's a nice island, there's an album by uh, David Crosby, a solo album, his first solo album from about 1971, called "If I Could Only Remember My Name," and that's a very floaty, drift out kind of album. I think I would take that with me. 
Um, I would possibly take um, something by traffic. Um, I don't know which one yet, but an album by tra an early album by traffic, and and uh, possibly there's a nice one by a little band called Trader Horn who only did one album again from 1971. Yeah, that's uh, a nice album. Who we went to see on there was it a 40th reunion? It was something. 45 then, years of the album or something like that, wasn't it? Done a special just a one-off gig, didn't they? Yeah, that's a very nice album called Morning Morning Way, I think it's called. So I might take that along, or um, so what have we got? Or, or perhaps something something by Kevin Ayers. Okay. Kevin Ayers, perhaps whatever she brings, we sing. It's a very nice album as well. I just find a lot of people can. Oh, this band are great and that band are great. Oh, this album's good and this song's good. But if you narrow it down to what three would you take that that's all you can ever listen to again, yeah, you yeah. get some really good gems, recommendations that you might have never listened to. Yeah, what would you take? Oh. <laughs> um, just one, just choose one. I can think of two. I'd have to take something by Linkin Park uh -huh. because I was a big fan of Chester and I could listen certainly like... Um, Hybrid Theory or Meteor I could listen to over and over and definitely something by Luke Bryan because I love my country rock Oh right, right, and I don't know that sort of music ah. but equally, What about you Gabe, what would you, I'm oh, sorry I don't know Joan Baez, Joan Baez, would you? Yeah. She's got a very, um, very beautiful voice you know, I think uh, and she's a very beautiful character isn't she, Joan Baez? Yeah, we need to invite her over, shall we? <laughs> for tea? Or... Yeah, just for tea. <laughs> so yeah. how have you found today so far then? Because, you know, you're on the middle of the well, afternoon. Well, how have we found it? We were lucky because we got a lift in. That's the only way we found it. Excellent. Otherwise, we would have had to get the bus in. So and we would have probably been stumbling around. answer. Metaphorically, how have you found it? today? Emotionally, uh, spiritually? Very enjoyable. I, I've actually enjoyed it. Yeah? Uh, I was a bit wound up and nervous so not able to speak very much <laughs> before we went on but we wandered around looking at the stalls you know the clothing the food stalls um, it's a nice park, isn't it? and of course we went to the beer tent uh, cheers yeah thank you <laughs> and uh, it's nice to have the music you know music in the park it's got to be good hasn't it and the weather's being reasonably friendly as well it looked like it could have turned rather nasty earlier didn't it well, you know, a storm would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. but we would. Yeah, but anyway, yes. So I've, I've enjoyed it. Yes. So, are you, you actually local? Yeah, we're in Haddenham, or rather, Gay's in Haddenham, and I spend my time at, uh, in Haddenham quite a lot. between each other, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I'd really like to move into Aylesbury, actually, right in the centre of it. You have actually been looking at your house. I've been, yeah, I've been looking around for houses to buy. So if you've got a house that you want to sell me, preferably with a swimming pool, um, I'd really enjoy to have that. And a cellar, a music room, and yes, a wine cellar. If you need a cellar, you there want Cambridge Street. Cambridge Street, yeah. Because they're all Victorian terrace with a cellar. Uh, yeah, I do need a Victorian terrace. Not, not, not really heavy on the pools, though. No. no, you might have to settle for like buying a hot tub. Somebody told well, me that they've got a nice pool here, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, they've got the aqua, aqua 
purple veil right yeah, next yeah, to you. Right. So, yeah. Somebody said they used to have an outside swimming pool here. And, uh, uh, there was at one time. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's nice. Yeah, we have to have a swimming pool nearby because, you know, we're involved with wine, swimming and song, really. <laughs> you know, in that order, I think. Excellent. Well, it's been absolutely fabulous talking to you. And um, yeah, hope to see you again sometime. Yeah, yeah thanks very much. You should be playing at the Rising Sun in Haddenham as well before Christmas, but we don't have a date yet. Oh yeah, we'd like to do the Rising Sun in Haddenham. We used to play in the Green Man in Aylesbury before it was uh, closed down. Yeah. But uh, we church, you play over there quite a bit, which is not so not far. Not the White Swan over there. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by and having a chat. Both of you. <laughs> He was a character. <laughs> Sounds like there was a lot of fun going on. At that point, I really felt part of the event. And I'll tell you for why. We had our press passes on and we were behind the stage at this point. And uh, you know the, the big crates that the roadies have with the wheels yeah, on them? Yeah, and yeah. The, the, we were sat on those with all the cables and everything around us. And the sun was out and we were talking to a musician and... It just felt like... It feels right. Yeah, it just felt really good. And the funny thing was, Liz, she was saying, oh, I don't know what to say to people. And she kind of drove that interview. Yeah, um, I, mean, I was the same way for PAX East. You're the one who kind of told me, why don't you bring the recorder up? And you yeah. heard what I got from that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Liz was really giving it the kind of the, the music journalist style questions, you know, with the, the Desert Island thing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, she had a whale of a time. Yeah. <laughs> you are listening to The Garbage Pod. So, as we said, it's, it wasn't just the bands on stage. There was musical workshops and things. And uh, we actually talked to a guy who was actually putting on a workshop while we were there. So we're back at live in the park in, in Aylesbury, Buckinghamshire. I'm talking to Duncan from XYZ Music Academy. Hi, yeah, all good, thank you. Very good. XYZ. XYZ. XYZ is the American way, which is way more musical. Um, it actually works in the alphabet song as well. It rhymes. It does work. Whereas XYZ just kills it. But you know, because Z rhymes with sing with me. Yeah. XYZ, because that's what she said. And, and it runs with V as well. It does? Yes. <laughs> so anyway, before we start uh, going on about this uh, transatlantic bickering... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what exactly uh, do you guys do at the Academy? So we're, uh, we, we're a music education facility uh, offering a range of different instruments. Uh, we also offer practice room hire and we are a recording facility as well. So, uh, and we've, we've, going back to the music lessons, we offer music lessons in school as well as at our private teaching locations, which is both at West Gold Venture Park and uh, the, Elf, the second floor of the Elsman Music Shop as well. Right. So, do you cater for all ages? Yeah, absolutely all ages. I mean, with drum students, I've started as young as three, um, and up to people who are retired and they come as something to fill their days. So, uh, yeah, all ages. So, I mean, you can see that from the stand that you do, you've got keyboards, you've got guitar, you've got drums. Is there other instruments? That... Yeah, yeah, there is. We do bass, vocals as well, a bit of flute, a bit of saxophone, a few extra bits. We, we hope to add more instruments to our, our repertoire as we go along. Um, it's just a case of finding teachers who have those skills. Um, and will you be adding things like um, 
and stuff like recording studios and that kind of thing. So we do we do already run as a recording studio um, for bands that wanted to come and record content. One of the biggest focuses for us is to for covers bands in particular is to offer video content for them as well. So we'll film as well as record them and put that together. So a lot of covers bands come to us because they want showcases to get gigs. So that's quite that's quite a good one. Um, but we also do workshops where students can come and learn how to use the recording software and stuff like that as well. As, and with other workshops we have band experiences as well to get, make sure the students know how to play music with each other as well as by themselves. Brilliant. So how long have you been going? Uh, we started in 2014. Um, before that I started in 2011 as a sole trader just as a drum school and then we quickly uh, developed into the music academy because uh, my brother came came on board as well and he took the building next door to us so um, we, we ended up joining and offering all instruments. So how long have you been um, playing instruments? I've been uh, <laughs> I've been going since I was 12, so that's 17 years now. So 20, I'm 29. So what did you um, start with? Well, I started with clarinet, actually, believe it or not, and I just really didn't get on with it. I do like the instrument; I think it's a great instrument, but I just didn't have the temperament to, was that to persevere. By any chance? Um, no, it wasn't. Actually. Ah, okay. It was one to ones. But I just, I, mean, I didn't like really have. School, no, no, no. It, it was, it was. To be clarinet, like clarinet, trumpet, piano, violin. Yeah, I just <laughs> wish I had the the work ethic back then because I could have been really good by now. But well, the instinctive thing to me for to do was to put it in two and start playing, drumming with it <laughs> when I was angry <laughs> with the, trying to squeak away on the clarinet. But uh, not to say, you know, I wish I could play it properly. But, uh, yeah, so I've been going for 17 years. Uh, picked up bass as well, a few other instruments as well, a bit of guitar. But um, I kind of leave all that stuff to the other guys, all the melodic stuff. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun so far. Awesome. So do you play for fun? Do you gig? Any of these? Yeah, kinda? yeah. I have, you know, it's, it's a nice release when I get a chance to play the drums outside of running the business. Um, do play a lot of gigs. I'm actually off to a gig after this. Once we pack down, I'm heading off to go and play in a rock and roll band. Um, uh, 50s and 60s rock and roll music, so it should be good. Yeah, that's right up my street. Double bass player and a lot. Oh wow! It's got the slap thing going on as well. It's very traditional. Wow. It's great. It's really good fun. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. So I, I do it on all levels, and uh, I would, you know, a lot of people say don't don't use your hobby as your day job, but it doesn't make a difference to me. It's it's a fine line. It can yeah. be when it becomes all work and yeah. there's no soul left to it. I can yeah. see where you're yeah. coming from. But like I, I mean, I, I yeah, like I said, I can't see where that saying comes from in a sense because I haven't hit my limit yet. So, <laughs> so what? would you or who what and where would you say is your or was your like first main influence what what were you listening to that really grabbed your ear and didn't uh, quit oh wow so it's a lot of metal I'm, I'm see i'm a yeah, huge teenage, music teenager. fan from i love like the get-go um, oh going right way back like bands like sick have you ever heard of them Dude, they're local. They used to play the hot hole. Yeah, I'm older yeah. than you. I used to go and watch All right. them. All right. They recorded my band, so there you go. <laughs> um, I saw. I used. They used to play. Mikey. They used to play at um, yeah. the hot hole most yeah, weekends. They're awesome. they're awesome. So that was one of my big influences. <laughs> I was lucky enough to go and study with the drummer for a little while as well. Um, so yeah, that you know they were great for me, and then. Uh, into other bands like Mudvayne and Slipknot and stuff like that. Oh, you but really then, were in the heavy really, new metal Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got into Dream Theater, which is something that the technical route, but then into the more route, like more gent metal, like periphery, animals leaders and stuff like that. So, um, 
really wouldn't have guessed that with your hair and your hoodie and your uh, chino shorts and flip-flops. Yeah, well, you Then that could be slightly more fashionable. Incognito medals. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah. I've got a, I've got a not scared children, so I don't. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. We... I'm not saying. I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm not saying you're doing that, but you know. Um, I'm gonna ask you my, fa my favorite question from you, guys. Yeah. Okay. So. You're going to be stranded on a desert island, tropical island, whichever. Yeah. What three albums do you take? Ooh. That's all you can ever listen to ever how again. Much, how much take, time do you have left in that? Three thing? albums. Three albums. I know. I know. Three so albums. I'm just saying it's this side. God. Uh, <laughs> um, what comes to mind first? Uh, okay. Lincoln Park. This is it. Um, hybrid Theory. Okay. Exactly what I said when yeah. I got asked earlier. And. <laughs> Oh, what else? What else? Ah, it's gonna kill me. Um, <laughs> Animals as Leaders, and it's the first album they released. I think it's just self-titled Animals as Leaders. And then probably it'd have to be Trees Are Dead and Dried Out by Sick. So. Nice. Yeah. So people recommend stuff left right and center but when you put somebody on the spot and say this is all you can ever listen to yeah. that's usually when you get the good suggestions yeah like torturing people so like a couple of those albums like the albums leaders and, and sick that are still trying to decipher in my head so you know it's still, they're the ones that stick with me because it's still like a puzzle to try and work them out on the drums so yeah all right last one and i'll quit with the music questions okay so you've had a really horrible day yep Stressful, nothing's gone right, PPI phone calls, parents have hissy fitted at you because their yeah. child isn't the next Mozart on drums. Yeah. And you play drums. Anyway, <laughs> You're about two steps away from just flipping your lid. Yeah. So you lock yourself in the practice room, shut the door, pick up the sticks. Yeah. What's the go-to stress relief song? Ooh. If I had the foot stamina, the sugar bleed. Nice! <laughs> Excellent choice. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's alright, you're welcome. <laughs> so coming back to park life. Because <laughs> a lot of the things that we do and we're involved in, in the other side of things, in the Comic-Con yep. type stuff, is also about accessibility for anybody and everybody yep. and that kind of thing. Okay. And it's still a bit of a taboo subject with people to say, oh, by the way, what happened, or yeah. so on. So I'm just wondering what you offer or how you, the little things for making it accessible for. I mean, do you have um, any disabled, partially impaired site like students and things uh, like that? At the moment, not particularly, but it's not something we're not open to. We have we have one student who has Down syndrome, and he comes and has a go, and you know we're very accommodating with that. Um, with regards to accessibility, uh, in, in a literal sense, our Westcott location is on a ground floor, wide doorways, it's wheelchair accessible, um, and I guess you know we're more than happy to cater any sort of lessons to depending on the person's disability. Um, so yeah, and you know we also on on the other spectrum uh, spectrum of things we have several students with autism as well that come and it's a form of stress release for them and you know so there's lots of lots of different ways and you find that everyone finds their own instrument depending on their needs so and we're happy, more than happy to cater for that. That's excellent. I was just wanted to put you on the spot and ask you because I find 
there seems to be, unless you are in that position, yeah. people put a lot more barriers, like more mental barriers in the way and assume that people can't do yeah. things when, you know, Def Leppard drummer. Yeah, exactly. One arm, lots exactly. of kick pedals. But yeah. it's, I'm just sort of, you know, I mean, Stevie Wonder of all this, I just wanted to kind of spell that out to people who might think, oh no, well, yeah. little Timmy is autistic or a little, you know, we couldn't possibly do that kind of thing. When yeah. Actually, it is a re- music well, is for absolutely. everybody. And actually, you know, I find that with especially dyslexic students in the past where they can't, you know, they can't read text. There's a different set of rules when it comes to reading music. It's, yep. sh- it's shape reading, it's not reading text. It's a very different thing. And even, you know, to the point where some students have used colour codes to read certain parts of the drum kit, all that sort of stuff. How do people get hold of you guys? Um, well, so they can, they can visit our website at www.xyzmusicacademy.com. They can visit us on our Facebook page, once again, XYZ Music Academy. They can call us on 01296-534-032. Or they can catch us at any one of these events. We tend to be at all of them at the moment, um, offering free tasters. Um, Yeah, just find us on social media. We're on on Instagram as well. Once again, look up XYZ Music Academy and uh, book in for a free taster lesson. Have another go. Awesome. Well, Duncan, thanks for talking with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. Transatlantic bickering? <laughs> Excuse me? Oh, dear. Yeah, otherwise that, 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 that would have gone on for hours otherwise. <laughs> Sounds like a, like a regular edition of the Teacher Phenomenal show. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it was an interesting conversation because Liz mentioned there about do they have any things set up for children with disabilities or people with disabilities for, uh, on their services. And uh, the reason why she mentioned that is because actually one of their drumming tutors has got one arm. I don't know if you could hear it in the background. There wasn't a band in the background that actually sounded like Queen. They were playing We Will Rock You. Mm-hmm. Um, to try and teach the kids how to do the drum pattern from We Will Rock You. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was almost like, yeah, yeah, we're in school of rock right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Next, I wasn't expecting this to happen. It was pretty cool when it did happen. So you join us back at Live in the Park in Aylesbury, Buckinghamshire, and I'm talking with the Mayor of Aylesbury, Mark Willis. How are you doing? I'm having a fantastic time. How are you? Great. This is the first of these events since you've been there. Um, how's it been for you? I absolutely love this event. Uh, it's classic Aylesbury. It's free to everyone to come along uh, and enjoy themselves. You just have to pay for your food and drink, and it's completely and utterly accessible to everyone. We even have this year, for the first time, people using British Sign Language on stage, so everyone can enjoy some really top-class music, and uh, the, the bands are mostly local bands, so we're um, promoting uh, promoting our talent uh, in the area as well. So it's a cracking event. I absolutely adore it. Because you've been to a few of these, haven't you? I've been a councillor for a surprisingly long time. I was totting it up, and it's something like 13, 14 years. And we've been putting these events on for for pretty much all of that time. Um, And it just gets better and better. And and moving it into the park uh, makes it a much more family event. Um, So everyone can enjoy it. It's it's just a... I love it. I just love this job. So am I right in thinking this actually evolved from Hobble on the Cobble? 
Absolutely. Um, I can't remember exactly what the reason we moved it in here was. It was something to do with a clash of dates uh, with bank holidays. Uh, but moving it into Vale Park has just allowed everyone to have a bit more space. Um, everyone can have a drink. It's a lot more relaxed. And it just makes it a much more family-orientated, uh, peaceful event with everyone just chilling out and enjoying uh, the bank holiday weather, whatever that might be. And we've had a bit of rain today, but everyone's still had a great time. Yeah, well, it's, it's held off quite well today, and, that, and that's paid off because the amount of people through the gate today, it shows, and everyone's having such a good time. Over the years, I've met people who've come down from Leeds and you know, to see friends, uh, and they, 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 so they come down, meet up with their mates, and, and come and sit in sit in our park. So it's attracting people from uh, all over the all over the country to come and enjoy uh, music in Aylesbury and, and spend money in our economy and have a cracking time. It is a great event. Now you've been elected mayor. When was it? May, wasn't it? Yeah, it was May. How's that been for you? This is the best job I have ever had. <laughs> I love being mayor. Being mayor doesn't give you any power. But wearing the chain of office makes people want to talk to you. And you hear so many, so many stories about people's lives and about things that are affecting them, about the good side and about the bad side. And I absolutely love it. Um, I've had people come up and talk to me today about things like housing um, and you know, other issues. And it, it is the best event. Uh, it, it's the best thing I've ever done. I really am enjoying it. I'm, I'm actually going in to do my day job for a rest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's surreal at the moment because I've not seen a mayor dressed like you do. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure every mayor at some point wants to wear a pink jacket, uh, a, a Hawaiian shirt, uh, black jeans, and red Dr. Martins. They're just not brave enough to do it. I, I oh, you're definitely raising more. Well, I, I, I tailor what I'm wearing for the event. Uh, so this is a fabulous, fun event, and I'm going to enjoy it and wear fabulous, fun clothes. Absolutely. Uh, otherwise, they'll just stay in the in the wardrobe, and I'll end up donating to Oxfam or something. So. Um, <laughs> See, no, the boots pull out, bring out the red and the Tudor rose beautifully I, I, on the chain. You know? I adore these red dock ends. You, you have coordinated <laughs> with your with your chain of office quite nicely. Absolutely, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, and uh, hope to see you again at other events. Absolutely, and and I, I will be pretty much like a rash over the town. I'm, I seem to be at most events, but this this is the best job I've ever had. Uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and I love representing this town. It's a cracking place to live yeah you can tell he enjoys being the mayor hawaiian shirt i thought that oh, was yeah. reserved for yankee tourists <laughs> yeah he was pretty full-on with what he was wearing <laughs> <laughs> i think we needed photos with that one um i can provide that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Lovely guy. Once again, spoke to him about my plans, and he wants to back us as much as he can. Nice. So getting the mayor on board is is really good. He may not be mayor by the time we actually put 
the event on, but he'll still be a counsellor and can pull some strings. So um, really good to know. That works. Uh, he was talking about the fact that uh, it was free to get in and all you had to pay for was your food and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd just like to say thank you to the guys at the the Greek food market stall mm. that they had there. They actually provided us with some free food. So it was really nice. Have you ever had a genuine Greek gyro? Uh, yeah. Oh, they're so good. Not gyro, people. They're so good. Love those. If you go to a proper Greek taverna, they are absolutely oh, gorgeous. So good. <laughs> I spent nine months living on a Greek island, so... Ooh, um, nice. Yeah. So the next interview was with another local band. They were really, really good. Um, and this is what they had to say. Okay, so I'm back at Live in the Park 2018. I'm with the band called Sin Fiction. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, yeah we're really good, thanks. Now, awesome set, by the way. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, how long have you been, been going? Uh, five years. Yeah, about five years, yeah. And uh, the stuff you do, it's all, uh, all original, yeah? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I don't think we've ever played a cover. We did one cover once, didn't we? Yeah. Of, um, <laughs> So how would you describe your sound? It, I mean, it's it's sort of rock, indie rock yeah, kind of. Difficult one, isn't it? Really? Heavier as time. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. evolved a lot over the years. I think we started off a, a lot more acoustic, and uh, now moved into a lot more heavier sound with synth, and you know, added extra instruments as much as we can. Yeah, I noticed that because you go from a kind of a, a rock sound, and then you've got that, you know, the distinct synth sound that's in there as well. Which yeah, is, which it's almost is, dancey. In yeah, there, some of it. Yeah, it's pretty unique actually. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's a question we always like to ask, especially when it comes to bands. Now, it's kind of like Desert Island Discs kind of thing. Now, the question is, if you were on a Desert Island and you had a choice of three albums that you could only play, <laughs> what would they be? Go on, Chris. Go on, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so mine, my, my, all three from me? Get them from all of you. I, I've got one. Go on, yeah. I, I'd uh, take Ed Solo in School of Thought, Random Acts of Kindness. Yep. That's by far my favourite album of all time, I think. I've got, I got too many. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't think of it. <laughs> you so got many. it, you're on a desert yeah, island, yeah, mate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can only carry three, mate. That's, you know, got a little, little backpack. One. Definitely, maybe by Oasis. Good choice. Um, Baby 81 by BRMC. Yeah. I'd, probably, I'd probably take in Keeping Secrets, Silent Earth 3, Coding Cambria. I knew he'd Coding Cambria. an eclectic mix of yeah. albums. Yeah. 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 Very eclectic mix. We have got different music tastes, though, haven't we? Yeah. 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 Which I've said helps with our sound, really. That's why we probably have got that sort of sound, really. Yeah. So yeah. We've got different, all these different genres, haven't we, really? So, so yeah. that, that kind of leads me on to another question, actually, which is who would you say was your inspiration? Well, for starting to play guitar, I played guitar because I listened to a lot of Guns N' Roses and I loved Slash's guitar playing. So I suppose for my guitar playing, that would be my quite an inspiration to me. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Anybody else? 
Dave's my inspiration. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, my dad has always played bass, he's always played in bands, and he taught me how to play bass. Um, and that's kind of where I started, sort of started with like Tom Petty and the Heartbreak and stuff like that, so we just played along. Um, that's, um, that seems to be the case in a lot of bands actually where somebody's dad or uncle has been a, a member of a band and uh, they might be to move back we're just a, yeah, a, a car and a, a trailer has just gone past us by the way for anybody who's listening so, so, um, yeah so you know people's family members are sometimes uh, an inspiration you get it a lot in bands where they've been inspired to play because of other people that they know of yeah, yeah. and um, so what what kind of apart from gigs like this well what other kind of venues do you do you uh, play we've played a, a lot a lot of pubs yeah, obviously yeah. Um, I mean in Aylesbury we played what was Shoot Pool which is now Duke's, Duke's quite a lot um, you know we played in, in Aylesbury we've played all yeah. Quite a yeah. few London we've gigs. Some, we've had beer festivals, it's been a good one for us. Yeah. Always get that's always been good. I think we've done the complete spectrum, we've really. Done all sorts, we've yeah. had, you know, I think, little pub gigs. I think the festivals, the festivals. Tend to be, we like to do the festivals. They're the good ones, didn't they, really, to do. I mean, everybody would say that, but they are just great. Because we just, as you see today, everyone's out. The sun's out. The sun's out. It's a good vibe, isn't it? Everyone's it? dance, don't they? Which was good. So, it yeah, was. Yeah. I mean, the amount of people just, just got up. I, I, Especially on your set, actually, I noticed that quite a lot. There was a, people, a lot of people at the front there that was just letting themselves go, and it was just. Oh, yeah, it's been here too. I was going to say, it's been a few beers been taken. Yeah, it definitely spurs us on a lot, though, when you've got a crowd reacting to you, you know, it's good. It's very nice. It can be hard, can't it, when there's. If you do a gig where there's not many people or that they're just not into it, it makes it hard work getting us getting into it ourselves. But it's difficult not to, to be with you because there's a lot of energy in, in your music so it just it, yeah, it, it does come across and I think it it relayed to the people out Lovely. there so uh, yeah brilliant so um, guys thanks a lot for talking with us that's fine yeah. and uh, yeah hopefully I'll see you again at uh, another event great stuff thank you thanks so that was Sin Fiction. Great guys. We had a bit of trouble trying to find a space to uh, do the interview. Well, we were actually behind the stage at that time and quite a long way behind the stage. We were like half a football field away from the actual stage and it was still quite that loud. Wow. By the time you actually get to that point, there's not a lot of light. So I'm interviewing these guys in near pitch black and um, trying to work out which direction I need to point the microphone <laughs> while talking to them. And then at that point, some of the traders were actually leaving because it was getting quite late. And that's why we said, oh, there, a car just passed. And it was almost like the parting of the waves because there was like six members of the band and they kind of like parted. So three went one side of the car, three went the yeah. other. And uh, yeah, it was a bizarre situation. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, good fun. And uh, I'm not used to interviewing multiple people. You know, the most I've kind of interviewed in the past is probably one or two people. But when you've got six people, they asking one question, and each of them have got an answer for it. It's um, it's bizarre. I need to get more practice in some of these uh, these panel interviews. <laughs> I have interviewed a band before at a beer festival. They were a cover band and um, they were trying to base themselves around the Arctic Monkeys, and they called themselves the Desert Penguins. 
and uh, <laughs> fair enough. But yeah, these these guys were absolutely fantastic. So I might actually look out for them again at other events. But they do tend to do, do uh, a lot of uh, the festival scene. So yeah, I might have to check them out. So now it's getting late into the evening. And uh, the music's starting to wind down. This is when UK astronomy come into their own. So we're still at live in the park in Aylesbury, but it's actually a different part of the event now. We are in a an event called Stars in the Park, which is being hosted by our colleagues at UK Astronomy. And not only that, I'm being joined by Mr. Taylor Shearer. How are you doing, sir? I'm all right after a, a late night run. Um, on the bike down from Norfolk um, I've had all the weather uh, in one journey <laughs> I got soaked in Peterborough I got um, I've, I've not been snowed on but uh, I got cold and then I got warm again and yeah it's just all happened in one journey down so uh, I've come down here I've got here about nine o'clock tonight as I say quite unusual for me to be um, coming down this way at this time of day I'm normally down here in the mornings yes but we're studying this field and there's loads of people wandering around and of all ages um, and uh, they're going to be taking their turn um, looking at the sky yeah tell us a bit more Mark well, as I say, we're here in the middle of Vale Park, uh, next to the Aqua Vale uh, swimming complex, and we have a, a huge collection of uh, telescopes going from a, a 16 uh, inch diameter down to well, a pair of binoculars which are, so I'd say, about 20 by 70. And uh, Ross is going around at the moment teaching the kids and the adults how to actually use them. Now, he's got a, a the big Dobsonian Skywatcher at the moment, which is a computer-aided one, which, uh, you know, with a, a few clicks of a button, you can actually uh, train it to actually find the planet or the star that you're looking for. Oh, excellent. So we'll actually turn and actually find it. So that uses GPS lo location and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And obviously built-in info, built-in maps. Yes. And uh, a lot of the time, you know, I look up at the stars, uh, whether it's with the naked eye or through a telescope or something, and unless I'm told, I don't do what I'm looking at. Yeah. And the good thing is now, you've got plenty of apps out there for your phones, which actually you've got star, mm. star tracking uh, stuff on there. I've got one on mine, and just you just point it at the sky, and it will show you exactly. There's AR as well, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of AR. Yeah, that. it's fantastic. Now, if we move over here, this is a, a, a bit of a beast of a, of a telescope, as you can see. Mm. This is a mix own one. And uh, this is one that he's going to be using for taking photography. Oh, okay. This is, this is uh, one I'd be interested in. Yeah. Um, let's, let's move around so I can show you. Sounds like So what he's actually got on your screen on the is actually a star map. So you can actually see what's going on. And he will train it up to what he needs to look at. Uh, and then he can focus on it and it'll, uh, it'll take multiple different layers of photographs. And then they'll use a kind of a, not Photoshop, but a star tracking software, which will then 
layer them all into one photograph. Excellent. Yeah. And then you and then you've got one complete. Oh right. Yeah. Image. Just down the road. Right. Because we're moving. The stars are moving. So if you left it as it is, you're just going to get star trails just yeah, moving around. So this will actually capture and move around with them and get them exactly in the position that you need it to be. I mean, that's half the battle. That's what I was saying earlier about you know not knowing what I was looking at. Great, I can get put my eye on a telescope and look up at the sky and see stars. But not knowing what it is I'm looking at is, uh, you know, so having a system like this, which will, you know, right, I, I need to look at something or I need to study something and it just t takes away all the the time that's wasted finding things, just takes yeah. you straight to it. It does. The layering and stuff, that, that, what I'm actually saying is, is a very simplified way of putting it but there is a lot of work that goes into actually layering yes, uh, no, and uh, Mick is uh, is a master of this kind of stuff I was with him at uh, another event where we were solar observing <laughs> and he was showing me the, the different flares and things that were coming off the sun and um, he showed me how to do an image and between us we made this image on the on the screen and I was just really chuffed that we could produce this and there was this big long strip probably know, a couple of inches long and uh, he says how long do you think that strip is and I, went, oh, I don't know a couple of miles or so mm. he said oh no imagine um, eight planet earths next to each other that's how big this strip was. Blimey. So that shows you how big the sun actually is. It's yeah, actually massive. This one later on, what I'll be doing is basically when the moon comes up fully, I'll have the moon on the lap. So um, what we'll do, we'll leave it there and we'll come back in a little while and uh, see how things progress, see if we can actually capture some images here. Excellent stuff. I've got a camera here, I am going to connect it up, but at the moment, all you'll see is a dot on the screen. Okay. So I'm basically waiting for the moon, Yep. and once that's above these trees, it must come up over there, you can see it through the trees, uh, then yeah, you will see a more detailed image of that, through that, but it'll be on, on the uh, laptop screen. Okay, but well, we uh, focus on the laptop. Yeah, yeah. This is all about imaging. Basically, yeah. this setup here. Setting up the light resolution and things of the picture quality, and the actual picture we see yep. is processed onto the computer itself. Is that correct? It won't be processed. Okay. It'll be live view. Oh, live view. Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, this is a video camera, mm -hmm. but it's not a traditional video camera. If you look inside there, you will see inside there. Yeah. It's not a lens. It's a microchip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, yeah, it's a microchip. That's quite cool. That is a microchip. Yeah. That is what captures video. Because mm -hmm. on imaging, you yeah. don't take a single shot like you would do at your brother's wedding or yeah. things like that. You but take video. Yeah. And then basically, with something like this, I can capture 100 frames in about so, seven and a half seconds. That's really cool. Yeah. Out of that 100 frames, you then break it down into frame sizes and you do what's called stacking so, the image. Yeah, stacking does it, does it compress as well? Or? It compresses the image, it stacks all the, all the single frames 100 times or however many you want it to or a certain percentage yep. of that 100 frames mm -hmm. and that's what gives you the fine crystal detail through something like that. Sweet. But that is, that itself, I mean you can hold it, please don't drop it. Okay. 
it feels like a child's toy. Well, it's actually got a very expensive uh, chip in there. Uh, that itself is about 800 quid. Yeah. Basically. I slightly recognise the, the chip and stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to go up a few, yeah. then you go to what's called a big daddy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's about 1200 quid. Mm -hmm. But that will process images a lot, lot quicker than a little camera like that. Basically, yeah. uh, that will capture 5,000 frames in about three and a half minutes, just on that one. And you get color and you get mono, yeah. so you, you can get color cameras, uh, which are fine for deep sky, galaxies, mm -hmm. nebulas, things like that. Uh, whereas the mono, you'll use a mono camera, camera for imaging the sun, <laughs> basically. That's any pictures you see of the sun, you'll see like reds and yellows after it's been processed. Yeah. When you look through one of these cameras, yeah. it's just white. Yeah. You add the colour afterwards. Yeah. Because as I said earlier on, yeah. everything in space is black and white yeah. and variations of grey in between. But if you were stood on the moon looking at the sun, what colour would it be? Not a, not a trick question. White. Two things. One, there's no colour in space, and two, what happens when something is so hot? What colour does it turn? If you heat it up a piece of steel, when it, it goes white, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The sun, it's red okay. hot. It's about 5,000 Kelvin, which is, you know, gas mark 19. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, we drove from earlier. So what so are you looking at right now? At the moment, not just pointing at Arcturus. By all means, uh, just like I said, be, be wary of your feet, yeah, because there's cables around here. Yeah, this true. setup is purely just for the laptop, uh, so you can actually see live images on here. So is this is this live with the moon? No, no, no. That's just a process image that I did uh, a few months back. Had we been able to set up over there, we would have been looking at the moon now. Yeah, but sadly it's there and we've got to wait at least another hour before it gets above the trees. Oh, oh, I better bring my car over here. Yeah, bring your car. Bring... I don't think the traffic warden <laughs> will come now, is it? No, 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 no. you'll be fine. Uh, by all means, I mean, you're more than welcome to look through that eyepiece. Uh, please don't touch the, the telescope itself though, uh, because it is tracking all the time. That will follow our curious all night long, same as when we pointed at the moon, it will follow the moon all night long. A mount like this is something you need if you want to do uh, astro imaging. Because a, a telescope like what Ross has got over there, manual, you can't take enough frames in the time that the camera takes them frames because we're moving. We're rotating as well as rotating around the sun as well as, i.e. the moon, is moving all the time as well. Got a friend who studied astrophysics. So, yeah, that's Arcturus. That's Arcturus, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's Arcturus. But basically, all, all of this is being guided by the laptop. So, in effect, you can use the laptop to change what we're looking at. Yeah, 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 yeah. If there was something more prominent, something better to look at, uh, when it gets really, really dark, i.e. two o'clock in the morning, which if it stays fairly cloudless, uh, we'll still be here doing our own little thing. Uh, then you can see uh, things like uh, Andromeda Galaxy. Yeah, oh wow. Yeah, which is over uh, 
Oh yeah, no, that's over in that direction. So around about two o'clock, uh, just above that tree line, we will get uh, Andromeda Galaxy. Uh, but obviously it's not quite dark enough just yet. Yeah, sure. You know, and these lights over here absolutely kill yeah, astronomy. Basically, they, they kill it. The light pollution just kills everything. Oh, yeah, 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 without a shadow of doubt. That's what UK astronomy were doing that night. Unfortunately, where Mick was doing his thing, he was waiting for the moon to go above some trees, and by the time it got above the trees, it started to get hazy. Of course. So, but his setup is not one that you can easily move. His telescope just looks like a piece of military equipment. Huh. But um, Ross has got one that uh, is big, but it's manoeuvrable, and he moved it to the other side of the field, and he managed to pick up Saturn. And nice. pretty much at that point when the, the shout went out that I've just found Saturn, the crowd went over to that side. Huh. It could have been better if it wasn't so hazy, but yeah, they had a good time. They had a lot of people inquiring about things. They had a lot of people interested in um, trying to get UK astronomy at their school so they can um, be taught a bit more because now the national curriculum actually has astronomy as part of their science syllabus. Good. So um, that's going to keep Ross busy just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that, that's and what it's all about, really, regardless of the haze. Yeah, it'd be cool to be able to see that stuff right there, but the idea is to plant the seed. And the, the look on some of these kids' faces when they actually saw some bits and pieces, it was brilliant. To think that all those people wanted to see the same thing, it was it was amazing. Yeah, even just stuff like the International Space Station. I've got an app that tells me when it's going to be overhead, as long as it's going to be bright and you know, weather permitting, of course. And we got to see it. My youngest is the one who identified it. She's like, is that it over there? Because the way it was moving. And I said, uh, yep. You know, pointed my app at it, and that was it. And all of a sudden, she just yells, I love space! You know, and she's just watching that thing going across the sky for several minutes. Whilst we're talking about that kind of thing, very quickly before I forget, do you remember in the last episode I mentioned one of the items that was going to be launched on the SmallSat Express was going to be a thing called the Orbital Reflector? Yeah. Well, they're having trouble identifying it at the moment because there was 64 <laughs> CubeSats went off at the same time. They, they're having difficulty working out which one is theirs. Nice. Um, <laughs> so once they've identified it, then uh, the you'll be able to see it in the sky because then they'll be able to do all the stuff they need to make it reflect. Yeah. But uh, they need to identify it first before <laughs> they can do that. Right, this is the last one for this section, and it's a kind of a, a roundup of the evening. So, Alan, you turned up uh, a bit later uh, than I. Uh, I've been here since uh, uh, just after 11 o'clock. Oh, right, right, OK. And, uh, <laughs> so you're coming up to the 12-hour point. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long day. Now, I came down here so that I could experience the stargazing, uh, see if I could get a few photographs. And I've, I've managed to get a few, um, but... I I can't get what I want for the simple fact that we're in a field mm -hmm. at night, it's very dark, and I didn't bring my flash on purpose, because the last thing you need when you're stargazing is flash guns going off. So, photography at the moment is a little bit difficult, but 
I seem to have missed a heck of a lot of entertainment today. Yeah. So you've been here since 11 o'clock. What have, what have you witnessed? What have you experienced? It, it's basically brought out the best of this town mm. and and that's yeah because you were saying earlier that all the all the the event crew are all local most of the bands are local the um suppliers you know the various suppliers that are here the various uh, businesses and stuff they're all local businesses yep. you've got local pubs represented you know they set up mini bars and all that kind of stuff it's all like you were saying local local produce yeah and it's fantastic to be able to put this in all in one event just mm. to show a bit of pride of where you come from I mean I, don't, I know I don't live here anymore but this is where I was born so mm. I still got a lot of pride for this place yes yeah I mean I'm the same you know I don't, don't live in Sheffield anymore but I've got I've got a love for the place I don't lo- don't like what they're doing to it you know I architectural and all that kind of thing I think they're destroying it and ripping the character out of it but that's happening across loads and loads of urban conurbations and um, you know we're seeing homogenisation and all that kind of stuff so when you get an opportunity for a place like Aylesborough to say look this is all the businesses we've got here Mm -hmm. this is all the talent we've got here this is all the management we've got here this is all the skills that we've got all in this one place and we're going to bring it all together for a big free event so that people that live here now or from here can feel proud of where they are Mm -hmm. Um, because that's something that I don't know it seems to be get it seems to get um, repressed yeah you know, push back. You know, you're not supposed to to feel pride about about you know your local place. You're supposed to be because that's seen as wrong in some in some ways. Yeah. No, no. You know, um, this great sort of homogenisation that's supposed to be going on, where we're all diverse and everything. I think you've still got to have that element of being from somewhere you yeah. can be really yeah. diverse you can bring in cultures and ideas and concepts that uh, may be initially alien but will benefit a community well that's that's one thing that they're actually doing tomorrow at because uh, this is a two-day event mm. um and um they, they're having a church service in the morning yeah an outdoor church service but it's a multi-faith Excellent uh, church service. Mm. Not only that, afterwards, they're having a thing called banquet in the park, mm-hmm. where Ellsbury has got uh, a multicultural society, mm-hmm. which come together and they do a lot of events and things. Mm-hmm. And the people from the multicultural society are actually bringing together a lot of ethnic groups to bring food from mm-hmm. the different cultural regions mm. for free. Yeah, for you to try. Excellent, and that's that's this is what I call, you know, being you know, integrating the different mm. cultures into our society, and it's fantastic. And that's how it should be. Um, but you, you should also be proud of where you are, mm-hmm. where you're from, yeah. and never forget where you're from, wherever in the world mm-hmm. it is. You know, I'm I'm proud to say I'm a Yorkshireman. I'm proud to say I'm from Sheffield, but you know, m- above and beyond that. I'm a human being who enjoys being around 
other like-minded, you know, sensible, normal human beings. And a lot of people don't get that. They don't get that opportunity. They don't get the opportunity not just to sort of see other cultures or maybe they're surrounded by other cultures and they don't get to see their own culture we Brits like to run ourselves down and our history and our culture we like to be critical of it and we like to you know take the mickey out of it and everything but we're still proud of of our history we're still proud of our heritage yeah Um, and that's something that we should all be we should all feel you know, I, I'm, I, I like Kings Lynn. I enjoy Kings Lynn. I like, I like being in Kings Lynn. I'm proud to say I live near there. Mm. Um, I'm proud to say that you know I'm inv- I've been involved in the community in various aspects. So I'm proud of that community, even though it's sort of fairly alien to me in that yeah, respect. You yeah, know? definitely. I mean, this is one thing that this is the weirdest thing about this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, regards to the history of this country, is we've had a civil war. We've had kind of a revolution mm-hmm. and we're probably the only country in the world that hasn't benefited <laughs> from that because we had that and we had parliamentarianism and we turned around and went nah, I don't like this bring back the monarchy you know it yeah, was, it yeah, was like yeah. <laughs> we did it all hundreds and hundreds of years ago and there's this societies that are just starting to go through that now yeah uh, in 2018 they're just starting their their societal revolution you know their change that that we went through hundreds of years ago um was it for the better was it for the worse who can tell but yeah i think it's great what aylesbury's done um they've been doing this for a few years i understand yeah it's evolved over probably 30 years uh it started off in uh, the market square in aylesbury and it was called hobbles on the cobbles and we had some some of our Aylesbury legends involved with it. Uh, we've had people like uh, John Otway, who's a, a, a local legend. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people might not not know who he is, but he is the true definition of rock and roll. Uh, I don't think he did an entire concert where he hasn't broken microphones in the process. It's, wow, right, uh, so he's a proper, proper performer that he yeah. breaks stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's an absolute legend. Actually, uh, in the 1990s, uh, he brought out a record called Let Me Be Your Bunsen Burner. And he said, jokingly, if this gets to number one, I'm going to put a concert on at the Albert Hall. Right. And it got to number one. And he had to put a concert on at the Albert Hall. <laughs> Don't make idle threats. <laughs> uh, obviously, um, some of the other big bands that have appeared are Marillion, that's an Aylesbury band. Yes. Um, ah, the mighty Fish, as it was. Yeah. Although Fish was, isn't from Aylesbury. No, no. being Scottish, but... Uh, uh, one of their first hit, uh, not hits, but one of their first records was, um, uh, and you can look this up, it's called Market Square Heroes. Mm. And it's about a small riot that actually happened in Aylesbury Market Square. Oh, right. A small riot. Yeah. A small polite riot in Aylesbury. <laughs> a quiet riot. A quiet riot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about a riot that happened in Aylesbury, and it's called Market Square Heroes. Oh, right. Excellent. So, uh, 
Yeah, um, we've had other bands that are not local, but they've appeared at Hobbles on the Cobbles, like uh, Kajagoogoo. Mm-hmm. They've they've appeared here, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've we've had some great times there, and then it's evolved into this quite a big event, actually. Mm. I mean, um, and I mean the fact that this is going on now, what uh, whatever time of the day it is at the moment, it's something ridiculous like twenty two forty three. Come on, so you know quarter to eleven at night. There's still stuff happening yeah in the park the music stopped but there's still stuff going on yeah you know and people are still stood around here kids and families are still here which is fantastic to see at 11 at night in the park <laughs> i mean obviously this wouldn't happen if it was um school nights and things like that but i mean no, we are, we're so. still in the middle of the holidays here so it's like there's education um, going on here yeah that's true there's learning going on in a park in Aylesbury at quarter to 11 on a Saturday night. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things why I've always been a big um, proponent and of, of home education. Um, this is something we did with one of, one of our sons, you know, we home educated him. And the way we did science and what have you was to come and do things like this. You've got the biggest classroom in the world right outside your front door. Yeah. Just look up. And... Uh, and like Feel the Force Day, um, the son that we home educated is is on the autistic, autistic spectrum and um, he loves Feel the Force. You know, Matt, he loves that thing. So, you know, and he's been to every one that I've been to. Yeah. That's something from, you know, I came along and brought youngest son and now all the other three want to come because they've seen and heard what we've been doing uh, mm-hmm. and how Feel the Force has grown. They want to be involved. Um, the best way for these things to grow is to grow organically rather than trying to you know come in bang right at the top with their first with their first hit you know they feel the force and things like this have grown steadily and you know it's word of mouth and it's organic and it's oh well you know we this didn't quite work this year so we won't do this we won't do it that way this year and next thing you know you've got this You've got this whole day-long event that probably started off with just a few people wanting to get together and listen to some music or something. And now you've got this full-day event into the night, you know, like like I said, you know, families, kids, stood in the field on a Saturday night looking at the stars and being absolutely engrossed by what the guys from uh, UK Astronomy are are telling them. That's right. Absolutely engrossed by it. It's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Right, Alan. Uh, it's been, Time's cracking on. It is. It is. <laughs> and I've got a long ride home. <laughs> yeah. I've got to try and get some sleep because... Uh, yeah, you've been at it all day, yeah. so you need to rest as well. <laughs> well, Mark, it's been great. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased I came down. I might not have been able to get the photographs I wanted because we've no light. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, my camera needs light, need light. But it's been well worth just coming and seeing this for the short time that I've been here because... Once again, what a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, and did you enjoy the music that you heard about? Yes, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a bit of Scar. Love that. Um, they played loads of Madness and Bad Manners and all that kind of stuff. Well, not, you know, they, they played the hits, which is what people want to hear at events like this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and they did it so well. I, I was fairly sure Madness were on there. It was you know? pretty on par, to yeah, be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. 
but all the you know all kudos to the UK astronomy team for coming and setting all this gear up in a public park at night <laughs> you know thousands and thousands of pounds worth of, of equipment and you know telescopes and stuff but come here they've managed it the people are, are enjoying what they you know and they're doing what they're meant to do which is opening up this fantastic science to a wider audience that's it so yeah thanks again for uh, coming over thank you and um, if we get invited back next year mm-hmm. you, you fancy doing some of the daytime stuff yeah I'll see if I can get down during the day that'll be fantastic weather's light yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks again Mark it's been a great great evening cheers no worries all in all it was a great day a long day (laughs) Uh, as i said about 12 hours in total but well worth going to and if we get invited back next year it's going to be awesome it's always good to go back home and as we do put on some good events well i mean you can always go back even if you're not quote-unquote invited right yeah it's it's a free event yeah so (laughs) what's to stop you yeah i mean uh, being able to get behind the scenes and talk to people and uh it was good fun it really was good fun talking to people just like to thank alan for coming over again because it's just quite a track over from Norfolk and uh, for Liz at short notice actually to come over and uh, help us out so brilliant day had by all sounds like it I'm sure Liz would love to come along again because she, she had such a blast we're going to take a short break and when we come back is going to be our TGP nominal side of things happy holidays to all the listeners of TGP nominal this is Richard Garriott. I'm an honorary crew member. I'm uh, an astronaut. I flew on uh, Soyuz TMA-13 to the ISS in 2008. Some of you video game players may know me also as Lord British. You know, as we are wrapping up one more trip around the sun, I know that many may lament getting one year older, but I must say that I am particularly excited about the current state of space science and technology uh, while we are uh, in a new golden era of space exploration, of human space exploration, where costs are coming down, access frequency is increasing, which means safety will also be increasing. And I, for one, I'm very bullish on my own ability to get back into space, which also comes along with the fact that I believe all of us will have an easier time uh, fulfilling our own dreams in uh, space beyond the Earth, and maybe even on another planet. So here's to seeing you in the near future in space. Happy Holidays. science lovers it's Steph Evs of the stimulus i hope you and your loved ones have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year tgp listeners this is casper van Dien. welcome to the roughnecks and merry christmas this is tgp nominal so, John, but, it's been a weird day, hasn't it? This <laughs> cool. has been bizarre. <laughs> so, it was was it something like four from the U.S. or from its, something like that? Four rocket launches scrubbed and then another one outside the U.S. or something along those lines? Three and yeah. one, I think. Is it three and one? Yeah. Wow. We had um, we had a SpaceX that was scrubbed. We had... Um, ULA got scrubbed. A ULA. Uh, we had a Blue Origin. Yep. 
And uh, then we had one over in uh, French Guiana mm-hmm. at, uh, at the Ariane side. It's weird to, seeing all of these launches. Oh, scrubbed, scrubbed, scrubbed. You've got to be kidding me. I don't know what it was with today, but... Well, mind you, we've, n- we've not had a situation in the past where you've had all these different kinds of facilities for launching stuff all at the same time. So uh, True, but still, what are bit... the odds? I know one of them was actually uh, an infrastructure problem, or a, I didn't get the details of it, I just saw the tweets. That one was actually, there was something with the uh, the launch pad, I think? Which is weird. But then that could be due to, to winds as well, that could have caused yeah. trouble overnight. I started watching um, The Everyday Astronaut, and he was commentating, plus he had both launch feeds on his YouTube channel at the same time. So I didn't have to try and watch one or the other. I could watch them both at the same time. And uh, the conversation was quite interested in the chat room as well, which which was quite good. Yeah. It's been a bizarre week with the the four launches scrubbed for today and then SpaceX has that uh, hydraulic problem on the one uh, rocket as it was returning so it had to land in the water that was (laughs) weird watching that I mean as soon as you started seeing that spin one way and then you saw it spin the other way and you thought yeah that's not going to (laughs) land yeah well you could tell just from the video feed that that one fin wasn't where it should have been and sure enough that was the cause but this has not been a good week so far for anything space related Uh, apart from Virgin Galactic Virgin Galactics was cool. They finally got above the 80-kilometer mark, but now I'm Uh seeing that there was a lot of people going back and forth on Twitter that 80 really isn't what space should start at. It should be 100. And so now there's a lot of fighting saying, hey, we need to have a standard on what counts as being the boundary of space. Yeah, this was the same as with, um, you you know, the guy who... uh, drop from space mm-hmm. there was the same conversation saying well did he go from space or did he just go under space you know it was that kind of situation yeah. i don't disagree we should have some kind of international body say all right this is where space starts and just get it over with it was good to see it actually happen i mean oh, it was cool. uh, a, a brilliant test flight now they're happy with the way things have gone um i should think you're going to get things starting to move now for virgin galactic yeah i know that that was only a partial their their engine was only turned on for a a small amount of time Mm -hmm. they expect to go now for a full minute sometime next year i don't have the details but the next launch they wanted to have the rocket going off for a full minute because things have been quiet for a little while from them yes they have been doing the the drop tests every now and then well i mean when they lost the one ship and the the co-pilot got killed they really needed to go back and analyze things before they did another launch so i'm not surprised that they've been they've been under the radar for a while i mean if, if you've been looking at their feeds and stuff there has been things going on it's it's a little bit like you know when the space shuttle become defunct things went quiet for a little while if you look closely at what nasa was doing (laughs) there's still stuff going on so it's exactly the same principle oh actually i forgot about this one we did have a successful rocket launch this week uh we had the The rocket rocket labs yeah yeah, and that was for NASA. Mm-hmm, that was for NASA, and there's now a whole bunch of CubeSats out there. Mm-hmm. That was the, the Eleanor. Mm-hmm. They're doing really well at the moment. They're doing really well. And the, the thing I like about their setup is when 
the UK start having a spaceport over here, they are being brought in as consultants because the area where they want to launch the, the rockets from is a very similar setup to what they've got in New Zealand. Right. And that's also going to be for more uh, smaller rocket launches, correct? For the meantime, yeah. Well, yeah. But they do intend to get bigger launches from there. And, and Virgin are going to be launching stuff, not from there, but from Cornwall. So they're going to launch it the same way virtually as the Virgin Galactic. Is it called Virgin Orbital or Virgin Orbit or something like that? Where you basically launch a plane into the air and then it gets to a certain height, drop a rocket off of it and then launches cargo into space. So there's going to be two ways of launching stuff off of British soil which has never been done nice it was just so weird that uh, in the past if we if we wanted to launch stuff we had to send stuff out to Australia <laughs> well which is know. which is bizarre considering they've only just got a space agency that's true that's true <laughs> and we were doing that back in the 70s sending stuff out to Australia to launch it <laughs> Well, I mean, if anything, there has always been a market for smaller payloads. The Uh problem is there's never really been the vehicles to do it until recently. Everything had to be, well, we can put you on with this rocket that has these other projects set for it. And really the whole thing about small payload rockets is really relatively recent. I mean, I guess you could include the shuttle, but that's not exactly in the same category. I guess you could... If it was still going now, you could probably fit one of those CubeSat launchers into space and then from the payload bay mm-hmm. and then and do it that way. I mean, they've got a CubeSat launcher on the ISS, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all possible. I mean, what you can do now with a, with a small satellite is, is unbelievable. Oh, it's amazing. And they're tiny. They're only something like 10 centimeters by 10 by 10. They're tiny. Which really makes things more affordable. Right. Especially for research for schools and things. That's definitely where the CubeSats are nice. They're like the Raspberry Pis of space. <laughs> really, when you think about it. I wouldn't be surprised if actually some of the technology inside it, the actual computer side of what's inside, is based around the Raspberry Pi technology. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either. <laughs> CubeSat, powered by Raspberry Pi Zero. <laughs> Right, we've got another event that we covered through TGP Nominal, and um, it was amazing to actually get involved in this one. Let me just play this bit in so you can hear what it's all about. So I'm here at the Green Park, which is uh, an education centre, the Green Park Centre, in Buckinghamshire, in a place called Aston Clinton. And I'm at an event called The Big Bang at Bucks, a science fair. And it's a subsidiary from the Big Bang Fair that they hold every year at the NEC in Birmingham. Uh, this event is uh, it's an original thing, and obviously this one's from Buckinghamshire, but they have these events all over the UK. These events are set up for school kids um, to teach them about, well, STEM subjects. So that's your science, your technology, your engineering, and mathematics. As you can hear, it's quite busy here at the moment. And It's a pretty exciting place to be right now because to see all these kids that are actually inspired 
by science is amazing to see. Now, throughout the day, I'm hoping to get a few interviews with some of the people that are exhibiting uh, things here today. Uh, we've got some friends for, of the podcast here today. We've got the guys from UK Astronomy. Uh, Ross is uh, currently conducting a talk over in another building and he's going to contact me later on so that I can actually sit in on one of his talks so I can bring that to you later on uh, Mick Scott from UK Astronomy is also outside with solar scopes and today is a really hot day so um, I've actually seen some of his imagery that he's been producing there are some good solar flares to be able to be viewed and uh, yeah, I'll come back to you again in a few moments. So yeah, we were at Big Bang at Bucks, which is uh, quite a big affair. And uh, for me, it was quite emotional to see the kids involved in, in science projects and things that was going on. Um, it did feel like something I should have been involved with when I was a kid, but we didn't have anything like this. And... Uh, it would have been so cool. Hmm. <laughs> now, the first interview I conducted was with an outfit called the Little House of Science. I'm with Lee Striden from the Little House of Science. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. So what is it exactly you guys do? So what we do is we do after-school science clubs. And we believe in engaging the children from a very early age so that they develop a passion for science. And, and we cover all the all STEM subjects. And, and yeah, so that's basically what we're trying to do is just get them engaged and get them excited about science because we need scientists in our future. Definitely. And uh, especially uh, female scientists because it's few and far between. And we exactly. need to change that. Exactly. And we found in our classes that a lot of our students have, um, are female as well so the balance is great and, and um, we've had a very good reception uh, in the Bucks area with um, the science club and from, from a young age and a lot of them are little girls yeah. So you cover all aspects of STEM, STEM so yeah. it's not just the, the science part of it? No we don't so for instance one of our topics that we've done recently was Brunel um, we did some engineering and the kids got to build, uh, build suspension bridges to take home yeah, and then the maths part of it we do, but for the younger children, we, we have a little maths group as well, just to talk to them about numbers and not just know that 2 plus 2 is 4, but what it means, basically, yeah, from an early age. Yeah. That's awesome. So what are, what are you actually doing here today? So today what we're doing is we've made a density tower with various liquids just to demonstrate that certain, even though they're liquid, all liquids have a different density, so they will never mix together. Right. And we have the children making little lava lamps, just as a demonstration as well. So it's something nice for them, and something they can make at home, but it's a simple demonstration of different densities of different liquids. So basically you've got like um, a test tube yes. with... With some coloured water. Yep and some baby oil, it's as simple as that, but it's a good demonstration of how density works for the younger ones, yeah. It's absolutely fascinating to see, and it's so, yeah. so basic to make. Yeah, very, very basic and very easy. 
and it keeps them busy for ages. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so a lot of the children that have come here haven't really understood density. They understand it very vaguely, but they have a, a better understanding now of, of what it's about. More of a scientific understanding. That's brilliant. Well, Lee, thanks for talking oh, with you're us. You're welcome. Thanks. Have a good day. It's a great way of teaching kids that, and it's so very basic. As you said, it's just some water and some baby oil with some colouring in it and uh, a test tube. Mm. They really do pull out all the stops for these clubs. I think it's a great idea to have more clubs. Uh, I, I know it's more of a thing in America to have like after-school clubs and, and things, right. and more than we do here. It was good to, to see the kids there. I mean, that, you could hear by the, the amount of noise that was <laughs> the amount of kids that was flocking around us at that at that point. <laughs> but um, I was trying to work out where Lee's accent may have been from. I was trying to figure that out too. I couldn't. I'm thinking possibly South African. That's possible. Um, I'll probably get corrected on that now. It's great to see all these different people coming together. And once again, all these people are doing this for free. Mm -hmm. And kudos to all these science educators that are actually doing this kind of stuff. So I'm now outside of the actual hall where they're hosting the, the Big Bang at Parks Fair. And um, I'm walking towards a another hall where Ross Hockham is actually conducting his talks and hopefully we'll be able to sit in on it. Now, when I got to the actual hall where Ross was conducting it, we had to wait a while because he had to kind of reset everything and, and get everything ready for the next group. Because uh, I think he had three talks that he had during the day. And there was a, a group of school kids, and I was listening in to what the teacher was saying, and she wasn't 100% sure that she was saying the right things. And... Uh, I kind of caught her eye while she was talking because she was sort of saying, oh, the amount of moons that some planets have, and I kind of nodded as to say, yes, that's right. And uh, she kind of said, oh, you seem to know some things. <laughs> and I was like, oh, now she wants me to talk to the kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was talking to the kids about a few things, and she said, oh, you've been to a, a few events, and you didn't, just happened to have the photo of, of when I was at Space Rocks and I was with Tim Peake. And I went, look, the kids were like, wow, you've met Tim Peake. And uh, there was one kid was looking at one of the telescopes and it was one of the ones programmed to actually face where the moon would be. And he's like, well, how does it know where the moon is? You can't see the moon during the day. And I said, well, actually you can. And uh, I just happened a couple of days beforehand to actually take a photograph of the moon during broad daylight. Mm -hmm. I said, I took this a couple of days ago and that is the moon during the day. And he went, wow. It looks like the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, he's not wrong. In the daylight with the blue skies and, and that, it really does look like it should be a space station, yeah. not a celestial body. So then we went in to Ross's talk 
and uh, we're not going to play in the whole talk sort of highlights of it. Right, you guys are ready? Yes. Brilliant, right. Just to let you know, that's Mark. Mark does a podcast all about space and all sorts of other things called TGP Nominal. Got that right. He's going to be recording, but it's only me, really. So he's going to record what I'm doing and everything that's doing because he wants to know what I do. So he's, I do podcasts for him every month about what's going on in the sky, which you can find on our website and all that sort of thing. So he wanted to actually come along and see what it is I do here and how I teach you and what happens. So he's going to record it and everything that's going on at STEM so then he can help promote all of that to help more kids come along and learn. So that's all he's here for. Is that all all right? Yeah. Brilliant. Right, we'll start talking about me then. I'm Ross, Ross the Boss, as it says there. What happened with me was about four or five years ago, I knew absolutely nothing about astronomy. Nothing. Didn't know what the blobs were, what the stars were, no names, no constellations, maybe Orion, because everyone knows that apparently. Other than that, nothing at all. My wife bought me that little telescope there. Tiny little Dobsonian, as it's called, it's just make. And I went into my garden, Milton Keynes, which is horribly light polluted, but I heard that Jupiter was up, the planet. I had a look, I saw it, and four little white dots in a line, and they were its moons. And I couldn't believe that I could see a planet with four moons through that tiny little telescope. So I ran out and bought that one. Because I wanted to see a galaxy. That was it, I wanted to see, I wanted to see more, now that's it, I'm hooked. Luckily, I got it before I got married, so some of the money went to there. Brilliant. So I've got this telescope, and I decided, right, now I've got to go and find a dark sky. So I found a field that was nice, not much light. Went out, saw everything I wanted to see. Nebulas, galaxies, dying stars, stars being born, everything. But at 2 a.m. in the morning, I couldn't ring my wife and tell her. I had no friends. I was all on my own. So I started a Facebook group called UK Astronomy. And it just grew from there. From there, I've got 3,000 friends now on there, including Mark. And now we teach everyone. We come to schools, we're now charities, any donations, help us buy more of that, more of him. Helps, I don't take any money at all, I'm a volunteer. So I've got my daily job and I come do this just for fun because I'm mad. So yeah, so that's what we do. We come around and teach you all we can. So what we're gonna do first of all, is I'm gonna show you a video and then we're gonna go from there and learn all about the solar system and how you can see it, because that's what I'm about, I'm an astronomer. So that means I look up and see stuff. So that's what I wanna teach you about. So here we go. Here lies something that when I was your age was actually a planet. We had nine, nine planets in our solar system. Go on in. Pluto. Pluto, brilliant. So we got Pluto. So you come up and hold Pluto, but you're not allowed over there because they don't like you. you so you've got to go over here. <laughs> Right, so Pluto is not a planet anymore, is it? It's a dwarf planet. Right, we're going to go through why. There are three reasons, or three things a planet has to do, pretty much, to be a planet. We're going to go through them, right? So one, a planet has to orbit our sun. Does it orbit our sun? Yes. Yes, most people say no, but it does. It's a little bit strange because these all kind of go in a straight line around. Pluto actually kind of goes like that around. <laughs> and also, it sometimes goes in between these two. So it goes in between. So it goes from the eighth planet to the ninth planet back to the eighth. So it's a bit strange. I won't fry it because you won't catch it. I, I, will, the, I, I will catch it. You won't. You'll hit in the face and then I'll get sued. So, Pluto is still a planet. It went around the sun. Brilliant. We're cool. It's still a planet. 
it has to have enough gravity to have pulled it all together to make it round or spherical. Is that a square? Yeah. Yeah? You need to go and do some <laughs> maths or something. Right, is it a triangle? No, it's a circle, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a sphere. So it's still a planet. Brilliant, we're all right at the moment. Now this is where it falls down, unfortunately. The third thing, the planet has to have cleared its orbit, or where it goes around the sun, of all the bits of rock, debris, ice, and all stuff like that. It lives in an asteroid belt. And also, some of the things in the asteroid belt are bigger than Pluto itself. So unfortunately, that is why it's now classed not as a planet. But, that being said, Pluto, uh, Jupiter and Saturn, they both have around 67, 62 moons, yeah? It's a lot of moons. Most of them are trapped asteroids that have been pulled in by their immense gravity and caught in orbit around them. So technically, have they cleared their orbit of all the bits of rock no. around them? No. So they technically shouldn't be planets either. But if we let him go back over there and be a planet, he's going to bring about 300 of his friends. <laughs> and then you have to remember all their names at school. So should we just leave it as eight? Yeah. Yeah? And we'll leave him over there. No. Send him home. Yeah. No. yeah, so you've got to stay there. Now, through a telescope, you can still see Pluto, the furthest thing, or one of the furthest things. It's like a little white dot in the sky against the background of stars. And it will move each night against them. That's when you know you've either found a dwarf planet or an asteroid. If you found a dwarf planet or an asteroid that no one else has, you get to name it. So you can have a piece of rock flying through space with your name on it, or any other name like Boat Boat Boatface or something like that, that you guys have invented. So that's why I love astronomy, because you can, as an everyday person, go out in your garden with a little cheap telescope and then have something named after you in space. And that's what inspires me to go out day and day, night and night, and look up at stupid o'clock at everything that's called out there. Because as you've seen, hopefully, these are just the planets in the solar system. You've got nebulas, you've got galaxies, you've got all sorts of stuff, dying stars, stars being born, all out there that you guys can look up and see, and you can see that. Yes? You know you said that you could name that topic? Yep. Yeah, uh, what about the kits that you can buy? It's like, name your own star. Right, those kits generally are a load of old rubbish. <laughs> I have one, I have a star named after me, but in sort of, it's, it's weird because they technically, if someone goes there, you've got no right to that star. Your name isn't on that star, it's not really in any real catalogue. But if you bought it for someone and they look up and they go, that's my star, that's got my name on it, and that inspires them to go and do it, who cares? Who cares? No one's even going to know in a few hundred years. You will know that that's your name and that's your star, and you will look at that star and you'll wonder what's there, what planets are going around, is there life there? I've got one, it's called the Happy Hockham Star. Because <laughs> my surname's Hockham, and when I got married, someone bought me Happy Hockham Star. So I've got a star up there I can look at with it. So I believe it, I don't care. But if you actually go down into law, technically, I don't think you own it and you've got no rights to it. But why not? Name a star after yourself. Do it. Right, before you ask all questions, you can do that in a second. Does any teachers want to take pictures of the solar system of all the kids and everything? Do you want to come, do you want to come down here to the front? Make sure you're in order. You're allowed to join them now, you're alright. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, you're alright. 
Right, now, if you can all please gently place the planets back down there for me. Because last time I said chuck and I got a face full of the solar system, so I don't really want that. Yeah, put them all down there for me. Your anus on the floor. Right, you've got about four minutes until you're moving on. You can either move on, this is dependent entirely on the teachers, go outside and do whatever and go to the next one, or you've got four minutes, you can ask me some questions. You've got to remember, I'm not a physicist, I'm an astronomer. So I'll answer what I can, but if I don't know the answer, I might ask Mark. He might know. You never know. Go ahead, you go for Why does Pluto have a big crater in it? Why does Pluto have a big crater in it? I don't think they really know, but from what I've read, the crater is full of all sorts of ice and mush and stuff. They think that they thought at one point something had hit it and gouged it out. But now they think that there might be an actual natural formation that would just happen through erosion and stuff. So, Yes. Why do they call it Uranus? Well, they call it Uranus because it wasn't God at one point. <laughs> but then we kind of grew up and now it means something different. So, yeah. I don't know why you're an uh, yeah, no, talking about it. I'm going to go to the so yeah, Ross is really good with the kids. And he even dashed your hopes about Pluto on that one. I had the recorder at the front and I was actually making a video recording. And if you listen to the recording, you can hear under my breath saying, it's not a dwarf planet. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to keep losing that battle, my friend. <laughs> you you got to get past Alan Stern first. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of home, he did tweet something just today about uh, New Horizons. It's not far now. No, it's not he far said off. they made one final correction burn, and it was spot on. So now Ultima's dead ahead, according to what he said. I don't know if I'm going to be in a fit state on New Year's Day, and I probably will be a little bit hazy. A little bit? I don't drink. I'll be able to watch it. <laughs> I might stagger down and uh, <laughs> try Oh, what's what's the name of that thing? Uh, you Hazel? No, no. Uh. <laughs> so, Ross has got these inflatable planets, mm-hmm. and he was getting the kids to hold them. And the funny thing about it is, is kids immediately put their hand up when they know what something is. And if you knew the answer, you get to hold the planet of what that represents. Or, or, I know where or this the is body. going. So somebody went, "Oh, that's the sun." Yeah. And you've got to stand there and hold that for 45 minutes whilst we do this talk. Ooh, that's not where I thought that was going. <laughs> Yow. <laughs> but, yeah, there was, I don't know if you heard it. The kid, one of the kids at the end, um, <laughs> where they'd been placing these inflatable planets on the floor, one of the kids went, ah, Uranus you is on go. the floor. Yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they did not disappoint. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> ah, let them have their fun. <laughs> but it was good, and as I say, as you could hear, Ross is always passionate about what he talks about. The kids seem to love him, so it's all good. Mm-hmm.
interview I conducted was with a woman called Shelley Hancock who is pretty much in charge of the whole thing. So I'm here with Shelley Hancock from the Bucks Learning Trust and uh, she's one of the the organisers of uh, the Big Bang at Bucks Fair. Tell us a bit about the organisation Bucks Learning Trust and then a little bit about the actual event itself. Okay, so the Bucks Learning Trust is part of the National Learning Trust and we are a social enterprise but we're there to help schools. We're there to help schools with leadership, with CPD, um, with school improvement, with governor services. You know, take a look at our website, loads of stuff we do loads of stuff we can help schools with um, the Big Bang event came about uh, four years ago it's part of the National Big Bang which I'm sure lots of people are aware of but about four years ago my colleague Karen Crinian wanted to put together a showcase event for STEM in Buckinghamshire we're both secondary science teachers who are very passionate about both science education in secondary and primary and just getting getting kids gripped from an early age that's why we decided to go for the years five six seven and eight so we were going for that younger age group so we started four years ago at a different venue. I think we had about 250 pupils in our first year over two days. This year, we've probably hit about 850. Wow. We reckon we can go to 1,000, but that's probably capacity for us for <laughs> us here. So, yeah, pretty pretty good going. So, I mean, the, the atmosphere here is electric. I and mean, seeing the faces of some of the kids is just astounding. What does it actually mean to you to actually outreach... Uh, uh, STEM and, and everything that goes along with it. I think just seeing people have that awe and wonder about the world around them. We, If we want to make the world a better place, we're going to have to ask questions about the world around us, and that means looking at the world around us. So just coming in, seeing these different organisations here, from some of the water companies actually thinking about water supply, from lots of the nature companies thinking about the natural world, UK astronomy, you know, looking into the wider world. It, it's just about actually looking at what's going on around you and asking questions. If we don't ask questions about what's happening around us we'll, we'll never improve things or, or learn anything so for me that's one of the really really big drivers so the pupils attending yesterday and today they've had the chance to go into a science show all about sound going to different workshops about lots of different things um, from coding to rocket cars to um, exploring the body and and first aid techniques and they've had a chance to be in the interactive stem fair which is the bit i i love the most definitely i think that makes a difference i mean reading things in books is one thing but actually seeing the practicality of science and everything that goes along with it i think if you can hook kids onto that kind of thing then you've got them for life really i think Absolutely, get them young. And science capital is a word that's being used an awful lot at, at the moment now. And this is something that really helps the children to see and expand their science capital because they're seeing it in conjunction with the real world around them. Everybody here is from a real organisation um, that does something that is STEM related. So they can see it in action and build their science capital, which is a great thing to do. Brilliant. Well, thanks for talking with us. Yes, before I go, can I just give you a little plug if that's 
okay. Yeah, um, we hope to run the event next year. We we don't know yet. I haven't got the full go ahead, but fingers crossed, everything crossed, we will get a yes that we can do it. We completely rely on volunteers. We get a small amount of funding that covers our venue costs, but everything else comes completely from volunteers and all the organisations involved. So if you could help us or you know anyone that might be able to help us to run this next year in Buckinghamshire, please do get in touch. At BLT STEM on Twitter is probably the best way to follow us. And if you want to have a look at what this event was like, hashtag Big Bang at Bucks, you'll see loads of pictures and loads of tweets from the day. Brilliant. Thanks, Shelley. Thank you. They do get very little funding. What they get given by the, the government to actually pay for this is £1,500. Oof. And that is just about enough to pay for the venue. Oh, wow. After that, they are looking for voluntary people to come and help and teach. So everybody there that was putting on exhibits and this, that and the other were doing it for gratis. They were doing it for free. But it's a brilliant event and everybody puts their hearts into what they're teaching. The next guy I spoke to was from the Institute of Engineering and Technology. So I'm talking with John Dunn from the Institute of Engineering and Technology. How are you doing? I had a really good day. It's been a hectic day. It's been a hectic and a hot day, but we must have built, in the last couple of days, at least um, 700 torches. So that's really good. Got the kids really excited about. It's really fascinating because it is a very uh, basic thing to do, but when it works, it's just you know amazing to see the kids' it, reaction. The, the kids' reaction is amazing. Just uh, a very simple thing. They've, they've used lots of technology in their homes, but just to see the reaction when they actually put together two batteries and an LED and make it work is, is just amazing. Yeah. They all think it's wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that you actually do at IET? Okay, I'm, I'm a volunteer. I'm the... Um, Schools Liaison Office of Buckinghamshire. So uh, basically try and coordinate all the activities around Buckinghamshire, supporting schools. I'm also a STEM ambassador, uh, as are all the IET um, uh, councillors here. Awesome. So what is um, the IET's mission? Well, the, IET is, the IET's main mission is to, to promote engineering, especially in, in this context, so that we get trying to get children interested in engineering from a very early age uh, and just to see the possibilities of what 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 they can actually do uh, something that they can't actually do in the classroom so have, have you actually seen that evolve have you actually seen it from you know an early age going up to I've mainly concentrated, I've only been doing this for a couple of years now, but I've mainly concentrated on, on this age group and upwards, so I haven't actually gone into primary schools. So I think this is probably the first age where they, they get a really strong awareness of maybe engineering as a concept. Because it is really important, and especially with girls, to get them involved in engineering. Absolutely, yes. Yes, and I'm desperate to get more volunteers to uh, to, to help me in the, in the right gender and the right age group. But uh, so far, it, they are difficult to find. <laughs> Unfortunately, but with the likes of yourself actually pushing it and the way you do with the passion that you seem to have for what you're doing, so is that um, I can see that evolving and growing. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly very hopeful. Uh, it's one of my main missions since I retired. I've had, I've had so much problem in, in taking on English engineers. I've taken, English, I've taken on engineers from all over the world, 
and what I want to see is more engineers coming through from UK, basically. Well, we've definitely got the talent in this country. So. Absolutely, yeah. And and the way that some of the girls approach the problems, certainly up to a certain age level, they've definitely got the capability. It's just sustaining that right through their um, growth period that's yeah. the, that I see as a real problem. So uh, the real challenge. Fingers crossed we can, we can get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, John, thanks for talking with us. Okay, fine. I could see a pattern forming here, uh, and the pattern is catch them at an early age. I mean, you really catch them at any age. I mean, there's, there's no reason why it should just be young, but I think when, it's young, when they're younger, there's much more of a fascination to it. Mm-hmm. And that's really the hook. Parents need to stop, and I know that I kind of fell into this as well, thinking that, well, they might be interested in that, but they're, they're going to take an interest and then move on to something else. So why bother? You know, it, it's one thing for a kid to say, oh, wow, that's cool. But I think a lot of parents will just be like, oh, well, they think it's cool, but I'm not going to invest in it because at this age, I'm going to put a lot of money into something for them to learn it, and then they're just going to lose interest, so I'm not going to bother. And I think that's a problem, too. You, you get that with kids that are involved in sports at an early age. They kind of dwindle off from it for after a yeah. while. You know, it's going to be a fad. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it's a risk. That's You're just going to have to see, instead of approaching it as, well, you know, they're just going to lose interest later. Well, you, they might, they might not. You don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there, there are easy ways to start off, especially stuff like Raspberry Pis. Mm-hmm. Get them a starter kit. See if they're interested in it. For space, they don't need to have an expensive telescope to be interested. Like I, like no. I said, my youngest daughter, she's 11, and she freaks out every time we say, hey, we can go see the space station flying overhead. Boom, she's out the door. I haven't assembled it, <laughs> but I've got a very large model of the space shuttle plus the uh, SRBs and the, you know, the external tanks. The thing will stand mm-hmm. about a meter tall when it's assembled. And she saw the box and she was like, oh, can I have one of those? You know, y- you never know if they're going to be interested in it or not. That's the thing. But the, the, what they were actually doing was so very, very basic to do. Mm-hmm. Basically, you had uh, an LED with a couple of watch batteries. Yeah. And uh, basically a bit of foam either side of that. So once you push the bits of foam together it connects the two prongs that come off the led straight onto the battery connects the circuit makes a little torch yeah so so easy to do the kids did it themselves mm-hmm. they took it home with them went to their parents and said look what i made yeah Don't really good stuff that seed yeah you it might grow something it might not but if it mm-hmm. if it takes hold then who knows that could be a career path for them yeah it just takes one little thing to spark that ignition yep it's really strange sometimes where that spark comes from, from, from places that you wouldn't normally think mm-hmm. of. And uh, whilst kids' minds are like a sponge, they're just absorbing everything, y- y- you don't know where they're going to get that inspiration from. Right. I've got a couple more. Uh, this one was quite interesting. Have a listen to this. So I'm here with a guy named Mark. Now, what is it that you actually do? Uh, we do uh, after-school clubs for primary school students, so Key Stage 1 and 2 children. Uh, from across the region, we've uh, been doing this about four and a half years. We've bought a franchise called Magical Maths, and it makes uh, maths really good fun for primary school uh, students. 
and we've uh, been doing it in Hertfordshire for about four and a half years now. We've introduced it to over 100 primary schools there, and we've just uh, bought the uh, rice to Buckinghamshire. We're just moving into Buckinghamshire. So this was a lovely event for us to kind of showcase what it is that we do. And uh, the children have had a great time with some of the tricks and things that we've been teaching them. And uh, I'm sure they'll be rushing home to show their mums and their mums and dads and their friends just uh, some of the cool stuff they've learned here. It's now, just been good fun. You, you, what you actually do, you do it under an alias, don't you? Yes, my alias is Professor Poop and Stinking. <laughs> <laughs> that, is my, that is my famous stage name for this uh, magical maths uh, concept. But yes, uh, and uh, my, good, uh, my good lady wife, Mrs. Poop and Stinking, was here with me today as well. And uh, yeah, the two of us have uh, been promoting magical maths uh, across the region. It's been really good fun. So what is it you actually do to get the best out of the kids? Because I know you, you do kind of... Well, the idea of magical maths, we're not trying to compete with Kumon or extra tuition. What we're trying to do is engage children more in the subject, really get them to kind of enjoy it. And you know, we teach them really cool tricks, things, which is working on their numeracy skills, getting them you know, to work hard on their times tables and some of the basic skills you need to be good at maths but teaching them tricks that are really good fun and things that they can go to their friends and family and absolutely wow them with. So, uh, you know, it kind of sort of ticks all the boxes. It's, uh, it's a really great concept. So if, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you about uh, running one of your clubs locally somewhere... Sure. How, how well, like, what we do is we promote ourselves to local primary schools and if they're interested, like we promote to the maths coordinators and deputy heads and heads of various primary schools around the region if they are interested all they've got to do is just get in touch with us um, via, the, via our email which is Catherine with a K at magicalmassclub.com that's our email address or just give us a call uh, the office number is 01923 418019 give us a call anytime and we can take a booking and we can what we're actually doing at the moment in September we're taking bookings to go and do free maths days where we actually go into a primary school do 10-15 minutes presentation to each classroom to do a couple of age related activities like we've been doing today and the teachers children really love that and then they take a leaflet home and the parents sign them up online so uh, it's a six week course and it runs after school within the within the grounds of the school so it's, uh, yeah, it's really good fun. We're really proud to be, uh, to be part of Magical Mass. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking with us, Mark. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Dr. Poopenstein. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'll appeal to the kids, that's for sure. He's got the white coat and the Einstein hair and the, uh, uh, yeah, he's pretty cool. And, of course, he's doing magical tricks and kids love magic. And they don't realize that they're learning maths oh, yeah. by doing this. And... It, it's cool. I, I mean, I stood there going, oh, this is really cool. And the kids were looking at me as to say, really? <laughs> You're stood here <laughs> with us? <laughs> but um, I just think it's amazing that the kids are learning stuff without realizing they're learning stuff. Well, that's the best way to do it. Cause if they realize they're learning, they might shut down. Like, I don't. No, I don't want to, I'm not here to learn, I'm here to have fun. Well, he was in a bit of a hurry when I spoke to him because he was off to another, he was doing another gig straight after the one and he was actually packing up. And I thought, well, now's a good time to actually talk to him because he's not going to have a load of people around him. He got the word out what he needed to say and, and uh, I'd been wanting to speak to him all day, but he was surrounded pretty much all day long because the kids actually love it. They love him. I think it's the character more than anything. It just appeals. <laughs> but see, he shouldn't be talking about math or maths, whatever. <laughs> and you would think that the most appropriate thing would be the solar system. That way, Dr. Poop and Snicking can talk about Uranus. Yeah, which is full of methane. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we're so mature here at TGP Nominal. <laughs> now, here's the, the last interview of the day, and um, yeah, you might have an interest in this one. Right, so I'm talking with David Philworth from 3D Print World. Uh, you're based in Aylesbury, aren't you? That's correct, yes. So, uh, as the title said, you, you, you work in 3D printing. Yep, we uh, supply 3D printers and uh, a, lot of it, a lot of them go to schools and hobbyists and uh, uh, basically anybody who wants to experiment with 3D printing. Excellent. So, you do a programme, don't you, for, for schools where they can uh, have a printer for another while? Yes, we do. We do a primary school. Um, it's brand new. We're launching it in September uh, where the primary school can have a printer for a term with a complete lesson plan to help teach uh, the children how to um, how to tackle CAD, computer-aided design. So, um, yeah, it comes with a complete lesson plan and a printer for a whole term. That's amazing. So you, you've been printing stuff off all, all day and I can see the machines are still working away there. <laughs> Go through the process uh, with me about uh, the basics of, of, of a 3D print. Okay, well, uh, it dep- the type we're talking about here, which is fused a filament deposition, FFD 3D printing, starts with a filament on a reel. can be of many different types of materials, from plastics to metals or even wood. Um, the filament goes through a uh, into an extruder where it's heated typically to about 200 to 210 degrees almost to a liquid um, and then the extruder lays that filament down layer by layer and it builds up the 3D image from, from the base up in, in layers and you, have, you set the thickness of that layer in the software and that's called the resolution and the thinner each layer is the higher the resolution the better finish you get on the product Brilliant Now where do you see 3D printing going? Um, personally I think in 10 years time they'll be as common in the home as a microwave Wow if you break something in the future, you won't go and buy a new one. You'll download it and print it. Because there are plenty of websites you can go to to uh, yeah, get the yeah. plans and things. The Thingiverse is probably the biggest. Um, a million things on there. If you needed a new iPhone cover, you just download it and print it. So I think, yeah, they'll become very common in the home. They're very inexpensive to buy now. Um, so that's where I, th- I think it's going to change change lives, really. Do you sell pretty much everything that you need for 3D printing? Yes, we do. And we also do 3D prints for people who don't have a 3D printer. Oh, wow. So you can come up with the idea with them and... Yeah, yeah. yeah we can help them to design um, and we can print the, the final product for them if they don't have their own 3D printer. Wow, that's awesome. So how do people get hold of you? Um, we're in Aylesbury. Uh, we're available. We're, we're contactable on 01296 434 and it's 3D Print World. That's brilliant. Well, thanks for talking with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for your time. Don't know why I'd be interested in that <laughs> at all. Just because I've got six empty spools of, of uh, filament that I need to recycle. <laughs> They've got a 3D printer. It's got a recycling unit in it. Mm-hmm. So it recycles the plastic... And does it again? I think that should be on all 3D printers. <laughs> yeah, I, I've looked into those. The problem is, right now, the cost of those is so cost prohibitive. Yeah. And there's still a lot of issues regarding quality. Because with 3D printers, you're talking you have to get into a hundredth of an inch of tolerance or else it's going to jam. Yeah. And the extruder, the way that extruders work, it's very difficult to get that tolerance on any of those recycling machines. And, and even at that, the recycling machines currently cost several hundred dollars. Uh-huh. 
and yet I could buy a, a one kilogram spool for 12 bucks on eBay. Yeah. You'd have to really go through a lot of wasted material to justify that. I looked into that too, and I just, I don't see it right now. They have to get much more refined, and the price has to drop. Otherwise, it's way more cost-effective to just buy new filament. And if you're talking about something like PLA, PLA is based on corn. So that will biodegrade outside in sunlight in a few years. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean, I, I looked into that, too. I don't know about that. I got to say, I also don't know that I agree with this statement that everybody will have a 3D printer. Yes, it's fun to have. Yes, people like me who can actually create things with it. I'm having a blast on Tinkercad m- making stuff and, and actually creating the files and, and all of that. Not everybody's going to have that. No. And you can only go so far with going to Thingiverse and saying, oh, look at that little trinket. Okay, I'm going to download and print it because that's cool. That only goes so far as well. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know that I agree with that either, but I will absolutely agree, seeing as how I'm proof of it, that, man, those 3D printers can spark your creativity. Yeah. Now, in that case, if you can find someone who's willing to put in the time and effort to genuinely design and make things with it, they're absolutely worth it. I think that there will be a time when it will be commonplace to have a 3D printer. I I know you can get scanners now, and they're really expensive. Yeah. Uh, But once that comes to a point where you can just get the thing that's broken or whatever and or you need a copy of something and just put it on the replicator and it does its thing mm-hmm. then your average joe will want one it's going to have to hit a really low price point for that mm. the knob on my toaster oven broke i need to print off a new knob oh i gotta go out and buy a 300 dollars printer in order to do that then learn how to use it uh you know that sort of thing um I don't know that I buy that argument either. At the minute, but it's the same as saying space being expensive to, to get it into. But the more it gets used, the more people that do it, the price is going to come down. Eventually it will. But I, I don't think it will be in 10 years. It's, it's going to be a, a lot more than that. Yeah, it's it's going to be quite a while. Because I know that earlier this year, 3D printer sales dropped. So maybe, maybe in, in 15, 20 years, don't know. Mm-hmm. The only way to find out is to, uh, is to just wait. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was talking to the guy uh, about the fact that I'm building a printer, and uh, he was like, well, if you get any problems, bring it in, and we'll have a look at it. So, oh, nice. <laughs> which is really cool. So at least I'll know. Yeah, I'm probably going to do that with my next one, because I'm seeing a lot of printer kits that have the much larger plate and are the same price as what I paid for mine. Once you get good at that... Well, then you can make a printer of whatever flipping size you want. Yeah, well, I mean, the guys at the UK R2 Builders Guild, their printers are just huge. But then if you're trying to make a dome of <laughs> of an R2 unit, you need it quite big if it's full, yeah. full-size replica. And that probably takes weeks to print one off. Mm, but they are cool-looking machines. Did you ever finish yours? I haven't had the time. I really need <laughs> to sit down and get it going. Hey, bills get priority. I get it. It's getting there. I'm, I'm doing things very, very gradually. It's just that I don't have as much time on my own as I would like. Right. So um, I could have done it today if I wasn't doing other things because I had like eight hours that I could have done something in. But there you go. Crichton, what's in this box? 
It looks like a small red dwarf garbage pod, sir. What, a full one? No, sir, we stopped using the small ones a long time ago. Well, let's open it then. Oh, God, that stinks. I thought you said it was empty. Sorry about that, sir. Sometimes the little suckers get away. That's disgusting. Oh, no. It won't close. There's a message, sir. Say Merry Christmas Garbage Pod to close. Oh, Crichton, you know I hate Christmas. It's the only way, sir. Well, I'm not going to do it. That stench. Come on, sir. You can do it. Just a little one. Oh, yeah. Okay, anything just to get it closed. Merry Christmas garbage pod. Look, sir, it's working. There now, sir. That wasn't so bad, was it? Ah, humbug. Merry Christmas garbage pod. Bye-bye, little fella. Spanhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So we're near enough come to the end of our holiday special, and uh, it's good to have you on the show again, John. It's good to be back, sir. I'd like to say thank you to everybody who we interviewed and everybody involved with the Big Bang at Bucks Fair and, of course, Live in the Park, part of the Park Life weekend. We had a blast at both events. And to everybody who sent in festive messages, basically, (laughs) thanks to everybody who listens. I hope you all have a good holiday season. And uh, we'll see you all again in the new year. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. This is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. Ho, ho, ho. Toodles. Ho, ho, ho.